Greetings, and welcome to Black Pill Digest. Today is uh, number four in our roster, and we're going to be speaking about something that is extremely important for all of us that are growing and for the future, and that is school is a weapon. It's a mind control device in engineered to make us slaves. And that is a black pill for a lot of people, but we're here to digest this. So I'm joined by my co-host, James Cordner. Welcome, James. Hey, Sean. Hello. Glad to be here. Awesome. We are, we have also, we are joined by uh, returning guest, Will Keller. Uh, all of our listeners know Will from episode number two, and which was also discussing child uh, childhood and the rearing of children. And this is going to be a little more focused on the schools. And we are blessed and to have a, our other guest here, Mr. David James Rodriguez. Uh, he is a uh, host of uh, Freedom Lovers Show. He is a uh, principal of uh, uh, Valor Academy. Uh, please, you have years of experience and you have been... Uh, your your focus is in schooling and in the helping of children's minds blossom into full adulthood and um and you are, you understand the reality that public school uh hinders that blossoming and we are we are very glad to have your voice here to join us today thank you mm, it's an honor to be with you guys man we're the visionaries of the planet with a bunch of other people watching so uh yeah, it's not time to speak truth and provide solutions. So I'm, uh, yeah, grateful to be with you guys. Cheers. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, today uh, we are, uh, it's a pretty big <clears throat> subject, but uh, we've all experienced some sort of schooling. Um, it's part of, uh, it's a rite of passage in our, <clears throat> in our culture these days. To graduate high school is to become an adult. And that happens at this age, this just num <clears throat> this just number that they tell us, where a hundred years ago, um, you know, it's it, adulthood happened five or six, maybe even eight years sooner. Uh, people were out there riding tractors, running the farm, you know. But for some reason, we've uh, our childhood has been extended, and we've become. Uh, more malleable where uh, we have this perpetual childhood that we never grow out of and we never become responsible for ourselves. And, and that creates uh, a necessity for government to control us because if our parents aren't there anymore, who's going to control us, you know, crazy, unruly people that need to be controlled, right? Um, I guess, uh, what, David, what do you think about this? Do you think that, uh, that our, our adolescence, I guess that even that term, adolescence, uh, this, this, long, this drawn out childhood, is that, is that taking place? Do you see that as the case? Absolutely. No, I'm so glad you said that because um, it was John Gatta who taught me that and um, he documented a lot of the um, intentions behind that is, is about control and teaching young men, young boys and girls to focus on absolute petty things 
like uh, who's winning the sports ball game. Right. <laughs> and um, after you see the contract, you're like, yeah, why was I focusing on that? I went to public school. My mom is a retired public school teacher and I have family members that are working the system. Now there's good people in the system, but it's compartmentalized. And so they don't know that they're a part of a huge social engineering um, operation. And as Gatto said, it's the most radical adventure, social um, experiment adventure in history. And uh, what could be more radical than handing your child off to total strangers for 12 years as they work on your child's mind and mm-hmm. work on it without your supervision. And you're like, wait, say that again. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's, 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 that's exactly what it was. That's why I love John Gatto, rest in power, um, John. And um, a lot of people now speaking truth. And so, like I said in the intro was that we're the ones. And so after going to enough freedom events, I'm like, where are the people who get it? It's us, we get it. And now we're kind of like um, a candle. And we're, we're helping light other people's candles and expose what's going on and provide some solutions. So extending childhood is so important to uh, the control of society. And uh, Gatta pointed that out. And yeah, you brought the word adolescence. I believe the word adolescence um, was concocted in, I will say, 1902 or 1906. Um, but it was all about scientific, I don't know, identifying different stages and all these different uh, uh, terms that really are just imaginary. And mm. that's why I appreciate Will's work and some of the work that you guys are doing is, is the terms. We got to define what right. are we doing here? And, you know, my definition of education is that education is what you do to yourself to create a good life. Right. And schooling is what somebody else does to you to benefit <laughs> them. And so you look and see who's running the schools. It's the state. So if any other organization was run the schools, they would gear it towards the benefit of um, their interests. So as we learn, the military, the consumerism and obedient um, clerks for the workers. And now we realize it's a whole different ballgame and there's a great awakening happening right now to this very issue. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And I agree that, uh, there, especially after this last uh, couple of years, they've shaken the tree of public school so hard yeah. that kids are falling loose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, regular status parents are just saying to themselves, you know, why am I sending my kid there? What are they really teaching? You know, and they, you know, now the kids are at home and they have the the screen and the teachers are interfacing with their kids in their home mm-hmm. and they're not allowed to know what is being taught. Like it's in their house and they're still, the state is like, Nope, parents. Nope. You know, it's, uh, it's insidious and it's mm-hmm. disgusting to me. I mean, you are, you're a voluntarist as well, David, am I right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I believe all human relationships need to be voluntary, consensual, and government authority is illegitimate. Definitely. That's right. Thank you for saying that. Now, we're mm-hmm. all in agreement here. That's because <laughs> it's a, You're preaching the choir with us three. Yeah. So that's great. Um, so, uh, they, so for the last, I guess this is a, this is a big question. I was, I don't know if I was, I was, I've been just been thinking about it all day and I was like, oh, I'll save it for the end. But this, <laughs> it's really getting me like, so we, we're going to learn throughout this episode about how um, and Gatto will teach us. We got a clip we can play at the end of uh, Gatto's speech. And um, and David, you're you're running the Gatto project. 
Uh, it's named after get, get all of the thinkers out. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, and you also publish his book. Um, mm -hmm. That's wonderful that you keep his voice alive. Um, mm. And uh, God bless him. Like you said, rest in power. Um, and so we're going to learn that, uh, that and he's going to teach us that they wanted us to be compliant worker bees, you know, statist cogs in the wheel. Right. Yeah. But, uh, the future is not looking the same, you know, things are changing and we're going to like, we're going to get, get into like how school has been bad and what, um, but I just want to know, what do you think the future is going to be? You know, if, if we've been constructed, like they mold our minds in school, they mold us to be what they want. And, but now they got AI, they got big tech, you know, uh, what do they want with us? Are they just going to kill us? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, That's that's what it looks like, man. It looks like they, these uh, predator psychopaths think there's too many people on the earth. And right. um, who was the founder of CNN? I forgot to, who it was, but he said openly, um, there's too many people on the earth. And this is what they think behind. Ted Turner. Ted Turner, Turner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he was openly saying there's too many people. Yeah, so it's like, okay, there's too many people. Okay, why don't you go jump off a cliff and help the planet if that's what you really believe? Yeah. He's got like uh, eight kids too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. so it's it's basically classism, and um, right. what my research has showed that they want a, a global totalitarian state. They want super peasants and super um, wealthy people, and that's it. They want to get rid of the middle class uh, because we have a voice and we have a little mm. bit of time, and we're not out in the fields, you know, eighteen hours a day. Um, right. But yeah, in, in response to the black pill, yeah, they want to destroy us, and that's what the whole jabs are about, and. Right. Um, but the good news is that after this huge marketing campaign of fear and virus and, you know, get the jab, all these things, a third of Americans haven't got the jab. And I actually saw something that said a third of the world hasn't got the jab. So, um, and even some That's of the people good. who did get the first one or the second one, I, I can, I'll, I'll ask these people directly, um, you know, did you get the jab? And they're like, yeah. And I said, are you going to get the next one? And they're like, no. And so there's also, you know, some research right. that shows that they're not going to get the next one. So um, this was their whole game plan from the 1986 Vaccine Injury Act, which I couldn't yeah. believe that the government protects the manufacturers of right. these things. Right. So that's kind of the black pill side of the, the, the good news is that over the last two or three years, the public schools in America lost over a million students and looks like they either put them in homeschooling or charters. And I think that those numbers are going to increase over the next two, three, four, five, ten years. And uh, that's why, um, you know, me and John called it the Gatto Project was to get the thinkers out or a singular, get a tremendous thinker out, your son or daughter, <laughs> yeah. um, because it, his, one of the other famous quotes was that all effort to reform schooling is a huge waste of energy and resources. Right. And so this is a guy who taught in public schools for 30 years, won the New York City Teacher of the Year three times and State Teacher of the Year twice, inspired Robert Kiyosaki, Seth Godin, Dr. Christian Northrup 30 years ago. And so his work, I think, is more relevant today than ever about what is the purpose of schooling and what is going on in there. And some of the most diabolical things are happening in these schools, as you know now, teaching young boys and girls to maim their genitals, to deal with their 
you know, psychological issues. And I've seen schools that are actually having um, vaccine centers or, or um, clinics on school sites. So I think right. that in the next, I don't know, five years, 10 years, they're probably going to have some gender transition surgery centers either on site or next to the school system. The schools wow. are toast, in my opinion. And so that's why I'm really emphatic about getting your son or daughter out today. And um, I personally do that through early high school graduation or homeschool uh, consulting and coaching, because what these schools have done is they've taught mom and dad that they're not qualified to raise your son and daughters or to teach, even though you are the one who brought your son and daughter into the earth. It's the one that cares most. Through love. Right. And you have the most long-term incentive you know, to be there and how the cycle of life returns but you're not qualified. So this is all mind control and Will's a, a pro on totally. these um, areas as well. And so government, you know, the core is gubernari mente to control the mind. And so right. this is the evolution. I'm glad you brought up voluntarism because, you know, just a quick, you know, history of freedom. Freedom is a new issue or a new um, um, idea for right. the average folk. You know, 1776 is like, yeah, freedom. That's 240 years ago. <laughs> and so what was before that was, please, King George, leave us right. alone. And um, thankfully, there's, you know, 3D printed you know, weapons out there to protect us uh, from these initiators of violence. So it's a new idea and we are evolving. And that's why I feel this is the greatest time to be alive in history, because it went from the monarchy to constitutional republic or statism. And now it's going to statism to voluntarism. And um, I just posted something today, which was. The Declaration of Independence is how the United States started, right? The colonies got together and they, you know, some of the guys got together and say, let's send them a letter and let's declare we're free. Well, why not declare we're free at the state level, at the county level, at the city level, at the neighborhood level, and then at the individual level? That's where this is going. It's, it's the most logical, rational, equal thing that I've ever seen. And so I am very hopeful when I meet people like Will, who came down to the Voluntary Solutions Bonfire a couple times down there. And uh, him and John doing the natural law stuff. See, everybody's got a piece of the puzzle. And together we put the, you know, the pieces together. And we're like, okay, you know, you guys are doing the um, audio and video show. It's like, all right, so we can put it together. And it, what I see, Sean, is a bifurcation of humanity. Unfortunately, some people are going to go down the RFID, CBDC um, path. And we wish them well, peace and love. But voluntary people like us, we're going to go figure this stuff out and we're going to, you know, continue relationships with um, moral, peaceful humans that don't believe in coercing individuals. And we'll be that light on the hill, the beacon on the hill. And people are going to say, you know what, those guys look to have figured it out. And I think that's what's going to happen. And um, it's going to be, I think, a, a tough time to get there because we've been all programmed. Me myself, I look at myself and right. I'm like, oh my gosh, all this programming. I was Me absolutely too. trained to be this consumer that's like, you know, stuck in myself. And yeah. then the last thing, which was the exterior world I can't control, but inside, I'm starting to go inside now, getting deep into uh, Joseph Campbell, um, even Wayne Dyer this past week. And, you know, kind of like, you know, I heard about these guys, but now I'm like starting to really try to integrate right. and internalize right. some of these things because that's the world that nobody has control no matter what they do out there. And as we get, as we get close, as I get closer with myself, I can see myself in you. I see the divine in you guys. And I'm like, oh, this is what it is. The sacred life, the sacred human and the Native Americans, as uh, we learned, 
everything was sacred to them. It was just, it just right. was the humans, it was the air, it was the land, it was the buffalo, it was the fish, it was the, the um, eagles. And I'm like, oh my gosh, even I get chills right now. Cause I'm like, that seems true, man. Like that feels authentic and honest. And I think that's where everything is going is because look at four of us right here. And I love these little live stream four, three or four uh, people because we can have a conversation. Right. So, you know, we get to hear each other and uh, like, you know, we're not alone. It's not a one way. Hey, anybody out there? It's like, no, <laughs> we're connected right now. And me and James have been on the show before and me and Will too. And a lot of respect for you guys because you're doing the work and uh, I'm not, uh, you know, just kind of blowing, blowing smoke, but like, you guys are the ones, you know, we're the chosen ones. We choose ourselves. Um, so anyways, I, that's where I see where it's going. So it's a bifurcation and we get to choose freedom or slavery. That's right, man. I'm so glad you came to this show because those words have, uh, were, were so eloquently spoken. I'm glad that it got on the recording right at the beginning <laughs> because that's Thank perfect. You, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Will, do you want to add to that? I know that, uh, that, that you are voluntarist as well and you understand the, uh, you know, the black pill and do you see it bifurcating? Do you see a, a freedom cell <laughs> growing? And then, you know, what do you, yes. what do you say? Yes. Yeah, I did. And well said, David, um, I, David's work is, incredible i highly recommend people check him out i've been following him for a few years and uh definitely consider him a mentor in this realm uh same with john taylor gatto i mean th these are people that parents really need to consider and and indulge into this information because when you when you're talking about what's going on it's obvious it's ultimately a philosophical question parents get real nervous when you start talking about uh something that's out of their comfort zone Right. I mean, but discomfort is where the lessons lie. Like we need to get out of our comfort zone. And uh, and this is where we can learn lessons and evolve. So when you're talking about uh, schooling, you got to ask yourself, well, what is learning? These foundational questions that most parents actually have either incorrect knowledge or don't know at all and never considered. They think, well, I went to public school for, you know, 12 plus years. And that is how we gain education, which is, it's totally, that's not the case, right? This is, that's artificial learning. It's, it's man-made. It's a concept that human beings have created. It's not how we learn actually in reality, in the natural world, especially with kids, uh, young kids, because it's similar to like alcoholism. When, when you go through a traumatic experience, it actually stunts your consciousness, Right. A lot of people that that get into alcoholism um, early on, they, they still they retain that childlike mind and they haven't progressed in their cognitive abilities. So this does the same thing with with children, right. especially in, in you know, school government is the same as alcohol. It blunts them. It, it's I'm, I'm so glad you said that. That's really interesting. School is the same as alcohol in blunting the mind and keeping it stunted. Wow. It's, it's a traumatic experience and, you know, yeah. it, it, it has subtle differences and it, it's over a long period of time, which actually makes the damage uh, really sink in um, right. harder. Trauma based mind control, basically. Oh, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this like, is what sit the, down and shut up. <laughs> the schooling system was designed to do right to right. make obedient slaves outright. Totally. And uh, it, it deadens the imagination. And uh, it, it's just it's a limiter for consciousness. And um, it it's a it, it hinders the potential right. um, for for many people. So that's so, really all its purpose for school. I mean, would you agree that is that why school was invented just to keep us down? 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like to a limiter on our genius. The, the potential like of, of human beings, for right. sure. To keep to funnel them into little cognitive sleeves where, okay, you're going to do this. You're Right when you get out of school, you're going to get your nine to five. You're going to work for someone, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Or even um, the, the, the more refined, like, you know, my brother, Jim, he like, he graduated high school, went to, you know, went right into science school and then post-grad and now, and then he worked for CERN. Now, like he's still doing their computations, you know, he's designing the, like that, that kind of mind is, is highly useful to them. And so they place it, you know, and then the rest of us, they like keep it down and, you know, he's, compartmentalized too, like the people that they do place like they're good at this one thing and then they're not gonna like share any other genius anywhere else like i like to hear what he's like you know what the physics guy thinks about history you know what i mean like it it opens up many different other avenues of thinking but um you know i they they're compartmentalized as they're separated out into their little place of you know for this larger cog system to all the cogs to fit you know but for the majority of us like it's like alcohol they're just dumbing us down <laughs> keeping us in our place right is that right mm-hmm. will yeah oh sorry a- i didn't absolutely. mean to talk over you no no it's fine no you you bring up valid points for sure so i mean th- this is why i appreciate david's work right i mean getting when parent, whenever I talk about unschooling or homeschooling, right, it, it, it's hard for a lot of parents because they're going against their own programming and conditioning. That's why that's this is where it becomes philosophical. Like you need to you need to remember and unlearn all that negative knowledge and what you think, you know, right, your perceived um, information and, and really evaluate that. Um, but, you know, getting kids out and graduated early so they can get on with life, yeah. learning and growing. I mean, you know, the, the brain isn't fully developed until what is it? 25, 26, right. somewhere right. around there. And um, so, yeah, fighting against that programming and conditioning, taking on that battle. And hey, l- let's be honest, right? The, the norm nowadays is co-parenting situations. Right. So, you know, parents that are together under the same roof, it it will be easier for one parent to be stay at home, when, you know, unschooling and homeschooling is not about taking the classroom environment and putting it in your house. That's We're talking important. about learning in life, which is any time, any day, any exper- it's experiences, right? right? So it's not stuck right. in a room called a classroom in your house. That's, that's right. not the ideal condition that, that we're talking about. Um, so it, it's really about educating yourself on these types of topics. Um, but you know, there's options. That's what parents need to understand. There's many options. If you're in a co-parenting situation, like David's work, right? He, he works with parents. I'm I'm sure David, you probably work with a lot of co-parenting situations where parents are, are split and, uh, there, there are options. So even when you talk about homeschooling, right? Parents ultimately think, okay, now I got to make the public school environment in my home. And that's, that's a misconception for sure. I mean, like a lot of, a lot of parents are, they're taught that they, they can't like you, like he, like David was saying before, like you aren't qualified. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so then they think, okay, well, I'm going to take this huge thing. I'm going to be all right. And then they look to others to tell them how to do the homeschool when really you need to learn what your kid cares about and how they learn, you know, and, 
pay attention to the child instead of like trying to look around at whatever, you know, what do you agree with that? too? <laughs> oh man. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, Sean and will. So I talk about the four stages of homeschooling and the first one is school at home. And that's where you try to duplicate the school system at home. It's overwhelming to mom and dad, you know, it's right. like math at 10 AM language arts at two. And like, you know, you got to make the plan, the learning plan. The kids are like, ah, oh, this yeah. is all, you know, almost as oh, bad as school. I want to go back to school. My friends are right. It turns the parents <laughs> into the, instead of being their loving parent and like, now they're, you're the enemy. What, why are you doing this to me? Because, you know, like they got away from the enemy at school and now their parent has to take that role. It's like, right. oh, sit down, shut up now, you know? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Please no, continue. no, that's a point. Yeah, so the school at home and then the second was de-schooling. So I think you were saying the deconditioning, the deprogramming of ourselves, we don't even know what education is. We don't even have a definition of success. When I say we, I'm talking about the collective. Right. And I'll share some of those definitions here. But I went to uh, 12 years of public school. I got a business degree. And nobody was talking about this stuff. So now I realize, oh, we're the ones. We're the ones <laughs> to kind of break through the veil and say, hey, guys, here's what's going on. So de-schooling is where you allow your child to remember who they are, like when they're five or four, three years old, and they're skipping and playing and free. And then you put them in kindergarten and first grade, and now they become this kind of cog. Right. So de-schooling says that for every year, they're in a first forced learning environment. You want to give them a month of total freedom mm -hmm. to let them decompress. Just like a, a soda, if you dr uh, shake up a bottle of soda, before you drink it, you got to let the pressure release. Your child's mm. under pressure. So that's called de-schooling. Very important part of the process for parents. And then step three is homeschooling. And so let me define homeschooling because, again, parents think school at home is homeschooling. In my definition, homeschooling is when a leader, that's you, mom or dad, creates an atmosphere where personalized learning can occur. That's it. You're creating the atmosphere right. of that custom education and then Ultimately, and I consider homeschooling with unschooling very similar, as Will said, unschooling, um, and I call it um, self-directed learning, 100% self-directed learning, where the world is the classroom, and that anything and anybody you can learn from can be your teacher. And this isn't some you know, philosophical theory. This is reality, because <laughs> you and I, all of us are talking right now, and I'm learning, and people are listening, and they're learning. They're, we're not doing this for grades. We're doing this for our own satisfaction. We're doing this for our own um, edification or growth or development and relationships and we want to make a difference. There's different reasons why you do stuff. Grades are at the bottom. Nobody cares about your GPA, your diploma. Nobody's ever asked to see my college degree in my life. I'm serious, dude. So I was yeah, like, too. oh my Lord. And then I got a video of Elon Musk and I'll, I need to upload it and chop it up. What was, he said, you don't need a college degree. You don't even need a high school diploma. So we're, right. we're going at a different world right now because of these devices I still can't con conceive how powerful this information is and right. what opportunity we have while it's still open. This is why they're trying to you know, work on you know, shutting down the internet. And they did this, was it five, seven years ago with freedom of speech or whatever cockamamie names they give it. They don't want us talking. They don't right. want this information getting out and it's getting out. And I've seen it at Anarchapoco. I've seen it at Anarchavegas, Porkfest. Other events, you guys talked about an event with Mark Passio in the fall. They can't control it any longer. And so this is why I think it's so urgent to get the message out there and to kind of enjoy the process as well because I believe we'll win, but the children are under attack with their minds because children know they're free. And if somebody would have told me about voluntary relationships when I was 
six or eight, at least eight or 10, I would have yep. got it. And totally. that's what we teach them. However, um, I think most important, this is, um, I just came back from a, a weekend at Mississippi. Uh, we did a self-directed learning workshop. It was so powerful, which is, I think the focus is needs to be on moral education, which right. is how do you determine right from wrong? And that's where, you know, Will's such a champion at that. And thank you for that. Because now you don't hear that in se- was 17 years of education. You don't even hear right. the difference between right and wrong. Because if they taught you the non-aggression principle in these schools, the kids would look around. They'd be 8 or 10 years old. They'd look around. And they'd be like, hey, aren't you using coercion against me? Aren't you <laughs> forcing me to be here? And, yeah. and, and the whole system would fall apart. So this is, yeah. I think, why it's so urgent of these kind of conversations of right from wrong, consent versus coercion. Right. And I think the genie is out of the bottle. It's just a, a matter of time now before the rest of the planet catches up. And, um, I mean, us four men right here is an example. Like, you know, we're newly friends the last few years. But, like, I've been looking for you guys, you know, for, like, my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, as a young kid, um, looking for my guys that, like, believe in freedom. And I just didn't have the language and the right. vocabulary but now we're, we got it going, and um, this is where I think the future is about moral education and distinguishing between school at home, homeschooling, and then the ultimate is a self-directed learning. That's right. Well, That's you're- that you uh, that you that you brought the idea of having it be like, oh, you, know, you tell a, a seven or eight-year-old about you know the non-aggression principle, they're going to pick up on right democracy of the whole of uh, the whole arrangement pretty quickly and that's that to your point about that that's why they bring that's why they bring the kids in so young so they can get the ideas in their head while they're young that right. statism is good and that the that the religion of statism is where we want to be put put your hand over your heart do the bellamy salute toward the flag do all of these things and for anyone that out there that doesn't know what the bellamy salute is that is the that is the the nazi salute we did that and what your hand would yes david your hand would be flat forward like here oh please sir can i have some more type of you know to the point is the point is is that they bring in the kids so young because they don't have the logical capacity to understand that what they're being indoctrinated into is a system of slavery and violence and coercion through coercion and held in a state of duress and they they have to raise their hand to go to the bathroom they can't even have they can't even have say on how their bodily functions you know operate and like they can't even have say on how they can conduct themselves in their own bodily functions they have to ask for permission you get a hall pass like uh, i mean it's been a while since i was in school but i don't imagine much has changed well, it's still happening to you, James, because you can't imbibe in certain, uh, you know, for your job, you have to have a pass. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like uh, for to be a cog in the wheel where like where a lot of people are, they make you pee in a cup, you know, so that they can control your bodily functions when you're at home and you think you're a free man, but you got to go, you know. Like, I, oh, okay, mass, uh, go, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, uh, it's total slavery. Exactly. Yep, that's right. And that type of language kind of shocks some people, but <clears throat> I was happy to see um, there's a guy named Matt Boudreau who was doing some good work online with Acton Academy, and he spoke on my expo some years ago, but he was on a show with Tulsi, Go- uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and he brought up cult and slavery. I believe slavery, but it's like, thank you. Because, yeah. you know, we've been talking about this, but th- he's got a bigger platform. So it's like, 
This is how we raise consciousness, not calling it public school. It is forced school or right. slave training or cultish. And uh, even Gatto called it um, a cult as well because the, the teachings are taken on faith. Hey, right. if you get high GPA, you're going to succeed in life. Where? Show me where. Most <laughs> yeah. of the successful people I know dropped out of high school or dropped out of college. They said, you know, to, to, to hell with the grades. <laughs> and they're just score, uh, soaring now. And of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but the reality is that if you're telling children that this is how you succeed, then you should be honest with them. And what we're learning now, it's about skills, emotional intelligence, right. and knowledge, self-discipline, some of these things, which they've known for over 100 years. I'm reading a book right now called The Master Key System from 1912, and he lays it down over 100 years ago from Napoleon Hill and of all these guys. So what's going on is children are being lied to, parents are being lied to, our grandparents are being lied to, and it's not okay that that happens any longer. So we're the ones to bring this information out and say, hey, look, here's what I'm doing, and maybe we won't change the world in this, you know, this year, but I can help my family. I can help the people around me and people that, you know, in my sphere of influence, the sphere of love. And then this is the concept which um, I call intergenerational freedom because this whole system didn't just get here overnight. This is about how yeah. to plant something so that in 30 years, 60 years, this fruit grows. And uh, my definition of intergenerational freedom is the transfer of the knowledge of the truth of self-ownership, non-aggression and self-defense. These are all self-evident truths that I got from God or source or creator, whatever people want to call it, the infinite intelligence. I'm allowed to defend myself. I'm allowed to do whatever I want as long as I don't aggress against people. And I own this flesh and, and blood, thank God, for that. And again, if the young people heard us at a young age, they'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's like it's common knowledge to them. But now it's like we have to help them. So this is some of the... The things that really helped me raise my vibration and awareness. And I said, oh, man, we are we're kind of we're we're sitting on the mother load right here <laughs> with this information, because from this information, everything else is um, a result or a, a fruit thereof. So, you know, and I can speak directly with you guys because this is the, the, the um, frame that you guys set up in this conversation. Some people aren't ready to hear about, you know, illegitimacy of government authority. So, you know, we kind of plant seeds and ask questions but with what's going on now and the jab and the mask and all these things, it's like, okay, are you guys ready to acknowledge that they're just a gang? Are you guys ready to acknowledge it? They're just a, and Lysander Spooner said this in 1870, you know? So we're not like the first ones to come up with these ideas, but these are liberating ideas. And I said, I knew it. I knew something was going wrong in the school system. As you said, uh, can I go to the bathroom when I'm 16? No, you can't go to the bathroom. And I spoke to a, a teenager in Santa Cruz was it last year. He's 15 years old. And I'm like, yeah, I can graduate you. You want to graduate? He's like, yeah, um, my parents will see what they say. But I said, uh, do you guys uh, still have to get permission to go to the bathroom? He's like, yeah, they give us eight hall passes a semester or well, semester or a year. I can't remember what it was, but he's like, I was like, so what happens if you use your hall passes? They take it away and now you only have seven. And then that's all you get for the whole semester. It's like, yeah, I was like, oh, my. So it, it's just getting worse, and um, the, uh, the only solution is to get the kids out because it's like I'm allowed to urinate or defecate when I want to, you prison guards. Let yeah. me go. Speaking yeah. of prison guards, I'm sorry. I just wanted to personal. 
Oh, you you go ahead. I'm sorry. In my high school, they only had one bathroom open, and there was a police officer there. And like he was in the like there was a uniformed cop at all times at the high school for some reason. And uh, the the men's room had all the stall doors taken off. So you can't crap in privacy. You have to uh, crap in front of everybody. And then the woman's restroom, no lights. And the reason that they say is so that they can walk in and catch you smoking cigarettes. And like with the woman, the man cop is not allowed to run into the woman's room until he sees the flash of a lighter. And then he has reasonable reason to go in there. Oh I mean, that, and that was, you know, 25, 30, like a long time ago. You know? And, uh, you know, it's only getting worse. Uh, I just want to say that's the truth. And like you had to go from the other side of the school all the way to the one bathroom that's open. And then the cop had to like watch you, you know. Yeah. So that, I mean, that goes to show like one of the reasons why I'm an anarchist today. You know what I mean? Like it, it, that's the real learning that I saw, like right. being in that coercive situation, like school is jail. I've also been to jail and it's the same, yeah. you know, yeah. they're built by the same contractors, you know, they give the same people feed the same lunches, you know, it's all just people management, like mm-hmm. keeping the rats in a cage and I don't know if you guys agree with that. Do you agree oh, with that? Oh, yeah. There, there's tons of correspondences from prison and indoctrination camps, right? I mean, you, you just listed a whole bunch. They just have, for the indoctrination camps, they have yellow school buses. And then for right. the prison, they, they use white school buses or right. white buses. It's, I mean, that's, it's that's true. it operates very, very similar the same way. And, and they've you got know, guards. They just don't have guns. You know what I mean? It's the teachers are the guards that keep them. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and yes, we, we got to be we got to be our, our child's freedom advocate. Freedom starts in the family dynamic mm. early on. Right. And, mm. and we can see this. I mean, parents either are going to be the tyrant uh, parental figures or the, the freedom advocates. And seeing a lot of people, you know, there's a great awareness going on right now. And it, it really warms my heart to see parents take action. Going down to your your um, the school council meeting and protesting and saying, you know, take the masks off our kids and this kind of stuff (laughs) that that's not the answer. The answer is pull them out yourself. Take action. And um, and I have been personally seeing a lot of parents taking that kind of action. And and that's great. That's what we want to see. So it's very vital that um, people use their voice and activate. And, you know, have conversations like we're having today. The, right. the ripple effect is real. Right. And it has such an um, impactful uh, effect on what's going on. So it's great. And when, when you yeah. pull your kids out, other parents see that and like they go, hmm, what do you think about that? You know, <laughs> sure. Engages you know, in conversation as even well. If, even if their status, you know, like like just hammerheads that just won't, you know, but they still can see the benefit of not sending their kid to this place that abuses them that, I mean, you know, and the things that they teach them, they're not allowed to know. Uh, we got a clip mm. of a, uh, you know, of a, a, a woman who tried to figure what she tried to ask, what is, what are they teaching our kids? 
and uh she got you know trouble from the state here i don't know james if you want she asked it. she asked for the curriculum yes yeah. cool. afternoon my name is nicole solis and i am a mother from rhode island who was sued by the teachers union simply because i wanted to know what my kindergartner would be learning in school and here's how this happened I asked to see the curriculum and my school told me I had to submit a public records request. The curriculum wasn't posted online and it wasn't available in a school district. Then I asked them if they were teaching gender theory and they told me that they don't call children boys and girls and they embed the values of gender identity into every classroom, including kindergarten, and they didn't want to answer any of my questions further. They told me that they would communicate with me only through public records requests and that is the only way I could get my questions answered. And when I did submit the public records request that they told me to submit, and I submitted hundreds because I had hundreds of questions, my school board then put my name on the agenda of a public school board meeting and held a public school board meeting to discuss suing me for submitting the request that they told me to submit. In a five hour long school board meeting, they openly debated my moral character, my political motivations. They said that I was causing chaos, wreaking havoc, harming the district, harming children. One school board member even said she felt unsafe and started to cry because <laughs> as you see, I'm really scary standing here right now. And they really just tarred and feathered me for asking questions and they had never met me before and this was the first school board meeting that i had ever been to in my life yeah. they wanted to send a message to other parents that if you ask questions they will come after you well at the end of this meeting they decided that they they wouldn't yep. sue me for asking questions because they never intended on actually suing me they just wanted to publicly humiliate me in a school board right. meeting that was a show yeah. trial and when that happened then the teachers union the largest teachers union in the country the nea did file a lawsuit against me to bully me and harass me with frivolous litigation and to send a message to other parents that if you ask questions about public education, they will come after you. Hmm. Yep. That's called, uh, yeah, trying to take out the leader and uh, make them an example. I experienced that, that in Santa Cruz for shopping without a mask and going on a beach bonfire, you know? And so long story short, the signs on the beach were totally unlawful and the masks don't work. But I wanted to read something because this lady, this lady's a good mother. I can know she's a good hearted woman. She just hasn't discovered voluntarism yet. And she's pushing up against the edge of like this facade that the, you know, the, go the government schools are for the children and we're you're worried about quality education. And she's, she's not there yet. So I want to um, maybe help her go over the edge a little bit. This is a quote from Gatto. He said, schools are impossible to reform because they have ceased to be human. Have you been transformed into abstract structures of superb efficiency, independent of lasting human control survival mechanisms? This is not a devil you can wrestle with as Daniel Webster did with Old Scratch, but one that has to be starved to death by depriving, depriving it of its victims. So we're dealing with the school system here. It's a $700 plus billion enterprise. This is about money. This is about putting your child in the chairs. It's called average daily attendance. And she can beg and she can plea. And they're, she, they're trying to intimidate all the other parents. But if a few of those parents get together, which is what's happening right now all around the country, 
and say, you know what, let's pull our children out. Let's do a little co-op. Let's meet in Susie's house. Um, that is a solution that it, it, they lose money and it causes actual empowerment of your child's education. And that I believe is inevitable, hopefully, if these folks are, are willing to put down the belief in government, put down the belief in government schools and understand it's not just bad curriculum, it is a bad system by design from its inception, imported in 1852 from Prussia, old school Germany, and it is from the seed. It is based on coercion, immorality, and indecency and criminality for children. And I hope she gets that. I hope all the other mothers and fathers here in Washington get this too. So important. <clears throat> so that's okay. Go ahead, James. And, uh, yeah, I will. Thank you. Um, yeah, man, it's all about fear, fear tactics, getting people to stay in line, get them afraid of what will happen if you don't rely on uh, on the government, on the government schools. If you don't let your kids go and be babysat by a bunch of strangers all day and be, you know, getting their heads filled with a bunch of useless. Well, maybe not. I wouldn't say maybe useless, but definitely <laughs> it's more based in lies than in deceit the type of information that their heads are being filled with, you know, uh, after a certain point in time. But yeah, uh, it's all about fear. That's really all. That's all I got to. Yeah. I, I like to, to highlight that the true voice of the parent is actually taking the kid out. You can mm. yell and scream all you want at their, you know, but they're just going to sue you with their black robed, judges you know what i mean like it doesn't matter what you do you're yelling at a wall like it's a facade that's just beyond that is tyranny you know uh mm -hmm. we're in this we have this illusion bubble and she's at the edge of it like you said and the real voice is the action mm. of taking the kid away and that's mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to make sure that that like yeah for Please. sure yeah i I call it detachment activism, right? So you're taking action by not participating. So taking your kids out. And, and th this is, you know, this is in all fa facets of society, right? Because yeah. it all stems from the same twisted, inverted mind. Uh, and this is what they do. They invert reality. They invert and pervert reality. This is why they don't teach about morality, natural rights, how to think using the, the trivium method or, or any any type of these foundational topics in in the uh, in the schooling system, right? Because by design, from the very beginning, it is doing. It's actually working perfectly. It's working perfectly on what it's designed to do. Yeah. And this is where where we need to get parents from where that lady is, where she's rattling the cage, to get her to understand the information that we're talking about. Ultimately. It's sovereignty, the, the, the immoral belief of human, uh, human authority and get it from point A to point B because it's, it's that slave mind, which is the fixed mindset right. to the sovereign growth mindset of, uh, of false and true. Right. Yeah. They go hand in hand. So um, and, yeah. and this is how we we use our voice and we take action. So absolutely. Right. It all comes down to action for sure. Well, we were able to break free of it. I mean, a lot of people, they, uh, they, they have been entrained since 1850, you know, whatever, 1880s, uh, with the Prussian system of military uh, programming. You know, boot camp is the same as school. 
you know, watch Full Metal Jacket, and that's the same as public school, you know, uh, and it, it ends up with the same type of, you know, result as well in some cases. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. totally agree with David. We we need to we need to drop the euphemisms. We need to call it what it is, right? right? It's not it's not school. It's not public school. It's indoctrination camp. It's forced learning. It's you know right. we need to use the correct, true definitions. This is why we have definitions to take take a, a meaning from the infinite possibility down to the finite. Right. So we have mm -hmm. higher definitions. So we can see definition means clarity of meaning use these words they're they're powerful and and this is what they're designed to do speaking well, of oh sorry go ahead let please. me make one comment on that because that's exactly i think the direction where i'm going um we can speak truth with compassion understanding we've all been in, you know enslaved with this statism ideology um but i just came across a book um called conscious Lang conscious language uh by a guy named uh, robert stevens and uh, just to uh, Will's point, which is language is uh, very important. So when we speak, we actually are creating in the vibrational ether, energy, um, frequency, vibration, these types of stuff we're actually creating. And so to be honest and to speak the truth, it's difficult, but it actually is uh, a service to humanity. And the mother in there, she probably has taken her child to school because she wants her child to succeed. Well, if she knew who she was, which is, I believe, a daughter of the almighty or creator source God, and we're all sons, I believe, or whatever nature one believes, but creator, we're all geniuses. Her son is a genius, so he already knows how to walk. He already knows how to talk without curriculum, without a certified teacher. So the next skills of reading and writing and everything else in life He'll learn because he's super intelligent, brilliant, and that's another thing is that they've uh, uh, taken that identity off us, which is, as I mentioned, the Native Americans, everything's sacred. We're sacred. We treat people with respect, with consent, and to like, no, you got to do it. And you mentioned Full Metal Jacket. You know, they shave their heads, yeah. <laughs> you know, and make them all sit down in the mud and dehumanize them, demoralize them, specifically to break down their identity and morality and then build them up in whatever machine way they want, which is to go off and shoot strangers. Right. And so mm -hmm. now we're starting to realize it's significant to be a human being. You guys are important listening and watching in here with us now, men and women, children as well, most importantly. So this is a new identity. It's like, oh my gosh, that's why people die for freedom because they know that it's, it's, it's more important than their lives. And like I said before, this is a new phase of humanity. And the last part here was about um, they're turning children against the parents. And that's what happens when you put your child with the state right. or as uh, yeah, Ma Malcolm X would say, give them to the enemy. Um, they, they'll actually turn your child into a snitch, which is, oh, is your mother talking about the government? Or are they not getting the vaccine? Or whatever the next thing is about the you know, alien invasion or cyber attack or whatever false flag event they're going to try to pull next. They're, they're, we're mandated reporters, you know, teachers will say, or doctors will say, no, you're not mandated. If it's based on coercion, you don't have to do anything. It fraud um, invalidates the contract. In order for a contract and agreement to be legitimate, it must be consensual. There must be full disclosure. If there isn't, it's fraud. And if we call it out, now they start to backpedal and they're in trouble to say, well, where do you get your authority? 
<laughs> That's the question I want to know. And so mm-hmm. I learned that, yeah, these guys, you know, God bless the cops. God bless the school teachers. I, I know there's good people out there and I know there's bad people, but to sincerely ask them with, you know, calmness and humility, where do you get the authority to do what you're doing right now? That is a kind of a, a, a jaw dropping or event stopping event where it's like they never even thought about that because they were actually trained that they could do whatever they want. And here now there's a great awakening happening. Where it's like, hold on, hold up, stop. Where do you get your authority? Because right. if you cannot delegate a right that you don't have, then how did you get the right to come violate me? That's what I want to know. So mm-hmm. anyways, the point was about the children and the genius of the mother. If, if, if the child, if the mother sees the child as genius, she's not going to be worried about it. She will pull them out. And this is the other point, which is there's a the knowledge is great, but real power is action. And that's right. what we're all talking about. And this is what is rising all around the country, all around the world. It's like, what are we going to do? We're going to take action. And if it fails, no problem. We're going to try to figure it out as well. But we're going to learn and we're not going to sit back and beg these people for a crumb of freedom. I don't want a crumb of freedom. I want the whole enchilada. <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, what I mean, there, there are people that have hurdles about like, oh, what am I going to do? Like you help people to, to exit their kids out. Um, are there like I'm sure the people think, oh, I need money or I need time. Uh, can you maybe speak to that real quick and uh, assuage their fears? Sure. So one is I, um, I'm not qualified or I don't know what I'm doing. So I have one of my Facebook groups is called Homeschool Leader. And I have 20 curriculums in there, which I created. And there's support. It's like 3,000 members. And then I have another group specifically about the money situation. Because I realize this is where they get us through the money. Everybody's right. just doing it for the money. So you have a... a um, you can learn about the entrepreneur mindset, the marketing mindset, the producer mindset in homeschool entrepreneurs. That's another Facebook group, um, hmm. which um, I have. And we're actually developing the entrepreneurs and just making an extra 500 bucks a month, a thousand bucks a month. That's will huge. change these parents' lives. Right. Yeah. So this is where you start to say, OK, I don't need to make ten thousand dollars a month, but that's a great goal. Let's do it. Uh, but a few hundred bucks, maybe a thousand bucks. And so what are the principles of entrepreneurship? How do we generate revenue and customers and these types of things? And this is like, again, I didn't learn this in business college. They don't want this. They, they, they train you to be employees in business college right. because entrepreneurs are the real disruptors in society. Right. And hate them or love them or indifferent. Elon Musk is changing the world. And so does Steve Jobs. So these are people who have innovative technologies and ideas but at every level, we need entrepreneurs. And the I think 70% of businesses out there are solopreneur, which is just the founder. And whether it's a yard business or um, mm. any type of you know traditional business, so you can do it. You can start your own business, but we got to break through this idea that entrepreneurship is something that it's only for, you know, billion billionaire CEOs or, you know, people that have all the right connections. And there was actually a guy who um, is a peace prize guy. Um, and I know that's kind of a, not necessarily a great thing, but um, <laughs> he, has, he has a great quote. If I can uh, find it here about um, entrepreneurship. And he basically says, we're all entrepreneurs. 
Um, I can't find it here, right. but it's, we're all entrepreneurs. It's back when we're in the cave, we're gathering our food, and we're just self-employed. Right. And then once they put a label on us that you're an employee or you're labor, then we're like, okay, I'm an employee, I'm labor. Right. But we forgot that we're all entrepreneurs and we're all CEOs of our life and presidents of our own purpose and direction it's right. like oh and so again all these different layers of the onion begin to open up and you start right. to see the core of it they don't want change that they don't control they don't want people they don't control and that's exactly what homeschooling and unschooling is about is allowing the child to pursue their interests you want to start a business great if they want to um go volunteer go travel the world great but it's it's normally mom and dad's mindset it's like oh my gosh well you know what if they can't get into college. It's like, well, they're they're eight. You know, colleges probably won't be around in ten years. You know, I mean, sincerely, like they're gonna run the out chat of. GPT um, is gonna be the teacher. You oh, know what man. I mean? Like, AI is just whatever. Yeah, yeah, AI, man. Yeah. So again, even with AI, this is another conversation. Like, okay, AI is gonna take over the world. Well, they <laughs> can take over the devices, but they can't take over here. That's what right. it's about. So that's why language and truth and uh, har harmonious relationships. This is almost the, um, the antidote or the kryptonite to their system, whereas being isolated and, and we're just like this all the time, yeah, they can control us now, but you put this down every once in a while, go out and you know, talk with some friends, and you start to have a real conversation just like we did three or four years ago. You know, We could go to the bar or restaurant, coffee shop, and have a conversation, and then they try to make you feel isolated, and all of a sudden you're like, uh oh, what's going on around here? And I, I feel bad for the people that thought that was legitimate because it was really causing adrenaline and stress in them. But us probably were like, oh man, this is all false. This is all lies. But more people got to get on that trajectory. And so through these conversations, they will, I believe. <laughs> yeah. God bless you. Yeah, for sure. Well, can you, uh, what do you think about what he was just saying there? Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Um, and I want to speak on tools and stuff, right? I mean, we use technology, AI, for example. This is a tool that could be used for, for you know, uh, negative re repercussions, but also it can be utilized in a positive manner, right? There are AI integrated into like Khan Academy and, um, and uh, Skillshare and this kind of stuff where we can utilize these tools for the benefit of educating as well. Um, but ultimately, it definitely comes down to the parents educating themselves. The right. problem with the system in any aspect, right, especially uh, the indoctrination system, it, um, it creates a fragment in, in consciousness. Therefore, this is the wedge between parents and children. When you fragment the, con the con uh, consciousness, you get disassociation from reality. So mm -hmm. this is where the system steps in and gets the the young minds to identify with school, with right. culture, with the other institutions. And that creates what is known as the dragon fight, uh, dragon court, where it's kids going against parents and stuff like that. I think the teenage rebellish years, I think that's a total myth on 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 what's going on. Uh, well, how they perceive it, what most commonly known. Right. It's not a phase of life. What's really going on is that there's no trust um, huh. from the parents and most parents are acting like tyrants and Ooh. just like anything in nature if you try to restrict it 
restrict its its if it's human beings or animal free will expression or try to restrict a being, it's going to it's going to fight back. The self defense principle comes in. Same thing with with young young people, young human beings. If you restrict their free will expression, if you're um, it, you're trying to force them to do something, they are going to rebel against that. Which right. really it isn't rebelling. It's it's part of the self defense principle. So getting down to these fundamental topics, like David said earlier, morality and rights, it's crucial. And to me, when we talk about curriculum, this is really where it's at. It's morality, the trivium method, which is learning how to think, right? Critical thinking, and then and then providing the needs for your child, your your children, self-directed learning, whatever interest your, your child has, you promote that. You give them resources. You want to learn about farming? Let's go to a farm and check it out and, right. and just gather information. And, you know, those those uh, uh, interests are going to change all the time as they get older, just like any human being, right? You're interested in one thing and then it goes to another. Ultimately, the children, as they start to become um, into themselves, they're going to you know, focus on a point and they're going to start to mold themselves as an actual being. It's not about what you memorize. It's about who you become, right? right? Yeah. And ultimately that doesn't cost any money and it doesn't really have, and like you were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be eight hours, you know, two 30, we do math and like, whatever, like we're in the university, the universe, right? right? right. This is a, a school. That's right. It's between the ears, you know, Correct. And, uh, what David was talking about earlier. Uh, I think Gatto said that if everybody homeschooled, then it would totally overturn the economy. And we'd have to start a whole new economy uh, because everybody would be entrepreneurs. And uh, that's really like, you know, and, you know, when when the turn of the century happened before that, pretty much everybody worked for themselves. You know, uh, it's just this industrialized uh, this, you know, factory workers uh, in the last hundred years or whatever that everybody just stopped being working for themselves and their family. You know, yeah, to make fear and ignorance have a big okay. have a big part in that as well, right? I mean, a lot of people think they can't do something. Uh, when I was in a family business and my parents retired, um, it, you know, I mean, there's fear there. What are you going to do? Well, I just started my own business. I'm, I work for myself. This is what I do. I have a skill set. I provide a service. You just go directly to me. And there is that fear in the beginning, right? But that comes from ignorance and lack of self-knowledge. Mm. And, uh, and this is something they, they don't, they don't yeah. teach. And, and parents can promote that, especially at a young age. Put that confidence and, and be the example. This is where you know, parental evolution is. It's becoming the change. It's being the example for your children. And we're trained to not have self-knowledge so far as to you know kids don't know what gender they are they have to have a, a a revealing of their gender at a certain whenever they choose like i mean it's like a whole nother party and it, you know like uh more rituals and more uh you know genital mutilation for their for their gods you know it's it's evil <laughs> and it's a it's a sacrifice of their future and their you know their line of genealogy is cut off with them you know and it just willy-nilly they don't even recognize their own body because they're trained to not know themselves 
uh, it's ultimately satanic. And I think that's like, like David was saying, I mean, that's where they're going to have gender reassignment, you know, right there with public school. Like it's going to be all one in the same and they're going to mold us into the, the next thing. Once there's no gender, then there can be, Oh, I'm not even human anymore. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm a, I'm a cyborg now. I'm three of five, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it ends up with the, the Borg. Right. Mm. Yeah. Let me comment about the, um, the gender thing. Um, Cause I've been seeing it going on for a few years now. And I'm like, what is this about? You know, right. of course there's um, the monetary <clears throat> um, part of it, which is um, gender affirming surgery centers, I think have um, increased by like 400 or, 500 percent over the last like eight years so they're all over the places money involved but my conclusion so far is that by attacking self-evident truths right. which is i have a lingam i'm a male you have a yoni you're a female that's freaking <laughs> obvious that it's clear as day yeah. but now they're saying no you can be a girl or a boy or whatever they're attacking truth right because truth is directly related to justice hmm. and justice is the power structure justice is right from wrong so again they're they're clouding they that right yep that's right they're clouding right from wrong so they're basically getting rid of right from wrong hmm. and i'd love to hear will's take on it here in a second about you know objective morality uh, but it's like this is something you know over the last five years i'm like okay yeah what is this stuff about objective morality and you're like more relative moral relativism which is they just, whatever they say is right, is right. Yeah. And so this is why it's so important from the very beginning. And I got a great story for a five-year-old. Um, my friend, Voluntarius Rosalind Ross, um, told me this story. And um, she's actually put in a book. And um, anyways, she taught her son about self-ownership. Her son's five years old. So she doesn't just go pick up her son whenever she wants. She says, hey, honey, can I pick you up? Yeah, you pick him up. So this son and uh, Rosalind, they go to a family reunion and some cousin or uncle was there and sees the son. Oh, he goes to pick up the son, five-year-old. He slams his elbows down and says, hey, you need permission to pick me up. <laughs> uncle was shocked. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he says, oh, okay, well, is it okay if I pick you up? And the fire says, no, thank you. And he turns off and runs <laughs> away. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so five. It. Five. So yeah. that's about self-ownership. That's about consent. Literally, those two concepts alone will dramatically transform the human species yeah. and bring in this freedom evolution that we see because it's that simple. It's that mm. basic. And right. they can get it at a young age. So the point was about truth and justice. So let alone, you know, calling somebody a boy that has a, a yoni and vice versa, they're going after justice because they're going to have the climate justice, social justice, right. whatever justice they're going to say, they're going to say, we determine what justice is, not you. But this yeah. is where mothers and fathers, uncles, aunts, grandparents, we stand up and say, no, it's never okay to initiate, initiate force against a peaceful person. And this is my property. My labor is my property. And my justly acquired property is mine. It's not yours. So this is like getting back to basics. Because I think even in the Declaration of Independence days, they knew they owned their body. They have unalienable rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and property. They knew that. But now it's been obs obscured. And now people 
actually believe that someone else is responsible for their life or for their health. And, um, you know, we got to see that during the pandemic. So the point was truth and justice directly related. And that's why it's so important that we speak truth because the direct connection with justice. Interesting. Because they don't ever want to have to pay the piper. You know, they, they want to be able to keep abusing us indefinitely and for us to stay asleep and to say, thank you. Uh, here's my child. Do the next generation now. <laughs> like, you know, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. David, you nailed it, man. You nailed it, dude. That that's that's down to the causal level. It's ultimately relativism as an ideology, as the nature of reality, right? Because right. if 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 reality is relative and truth is relative, it's you can make you can make it up. And this is what the social engineers want. They want people in that mindset where you don't know yourself, you don't know the elementary, the elements, the foundational um aspects of what does it mean to be human guess what we incarnated in this body no one else i'm in my own body david's in his own body james and sean we're not switching bodies so i'm responsible for myself i'm responsible for how i use it and guess what we're going to interact with other beings and other people right so does it initiate harm or aggression if you getting down to this objective truth objective morality right everything else stems from that i mean what's more basic than you exist and you interact so understanding that that's getting down to the root level and for them to to um get into this relativistic um ideology where truth is whatever they say just like when you're in the 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 classroom right i mean do kids really ask their teacher well why you just made this statement but why right? Because uh, I said description so. is not explanation. You, yeah, because I said so. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's where the, the belief in authority comes in. Yeah. Um, and this is what they want to do. They want to keep people in this lower level of awareness where it's fixed on their, their emotions, right? Emotions is energy emotion. That energy started from mentation, from the mind. So if you're completely abdicating that responsibility of what you what you hold, what thoughts that you condone. And Mm -hmm. if that's in alignment with truth or deception, they keep people in that fixed emotional aspect. So they're just reacting instead of responding. So it's deep. It makes them question. I mean, this with the, the Yoni uh, uh, Lingam thing, like they, they feel something they have to say, does my feeling match my external reality and they have to question and then they have to be like no i am different than reality change reality chop it like i mean the solipsism like is so like it it, they destroy their body and then later when they grow up they're like oh what did i do you know It's yeah. like it's, there's always regret. You're like, I, I, I don't know. Suicide. They they have the highest rate of suicide. Um, I think it's within seven years of maiming their genitals because it's basically self mutilating their reproductive system. They can't, um, you know, have kids normally. And um, the documentary "What Is a Woman?" Uh, Walsh yeah. did a great job. Hopefully, he finds you know, volunteerism someday. But that yeah. you know that yeah, documentary right. alone was a huge contribution to human consciousness because he's just like deadpan he's like super calm <laughs> and he literally is asking the woman um he asked everybody which is awesome that was epic 
what is a yeah. woman? And, and the, the lady sitting there, she has a yoni between her pants. You got breasts. You're a cute girl. She says, I don't know. I'm not a woman. It's like, God bless these people, but these people have lost their mind. I think she sincerely believes that she's not a woman and she has a, a womb and breasts. It's like, these are highly dangerous people because they will do anything that the trendy, you know, people are saying it was to do. And, you know, to their um, um, credit, they are great marketers. And of course they have all the resources and they're putting flags up. I just saw the flag, you know, you put the, the transgender flag. So for the mothers and fathers who are seeing that happen, if you stay silent, you are agreeing by tacit agreement that that is okay. I'm not saying you got to go yell and throw stuff, but you got to do something. I spoke to a gentleman this week and um, we'll see how it goes, but um, he's working in the public school system. And I asked him directly, I said, so what do you think about this transgender stuff and um, mutilation of children's genitals to uh, fix their mental problems? What, and I said it like that. Wow. It's like, well, you know, I, I'm kind of working in the schools and this and that. And, but he also brought the word integrity. And so I could see inside of him, he wants to say the truth, but he can't because that's part of his business. It's part of his, you know, speaking um, company situation. And so I'm like, okay, so it's just about money. That's it. So if we show them a way to make money, then they'll leave and then they'll actually start speaking their truth because nobody's, you know, um, nobody wants to lose their home or, you know, be out on the street or whatever, the, all these dynamics and families and such. However, if you... Um, extrapolate in the future where this is going, they're going to destroy the families. You've seen this thing about the artificial right. womb. Yeah. They now mm -hmm. want to get rid of the woman. Now they just want to take the the some uh, sperm donor and an egg donor and put it in there and just have some random kids running around. And that's what this is all about. This is brave new world stuff. And yeah. um, it's it's that time that time right now. And it's just like wow. So this is I remember when um, Charles Dickens in a Tale of Two Cities says it was the Best of times, it was the worst of times. And I'm like, yeah. I got it, man. I know <laughs> yeah. exactly what he's talking about because <laughs> now you have eyes to see and you're like, holy shit, dude, that's crazy. And But this is hopeful. You know, this stuff's hopeful over here, but it's like, whoa. Right. So this is where I think the bifurcating happens and building these little um, communities, uh, the exit and build strategy, I really think is a powerful thing. Um, leave the cities if you can, get some, you know, suburban areas or rural areas and start meeting people that have traditional family values and believe in basic self-evident truths of two genders. And this is, I think the next five, 10 years, 20 years, who knows, uh, this is where it's going because these guys have the money printing machine. All the yeah. money is there. They own mainstream media, but no, this type of media is now growing too. podcast and the independent producing um, journalists and entertainment and commentary such. This is where it's going as well. But the minds, they don't have control over the minds. They need that. That's why they're going after children, asking eight-year-olds if you're homosexual or if you're a girl or a boy. I mean, this is, this is unacceptable. So mom and dads, I invite you to consider saying something. And if not saying something, doing something and putting together a little group of moms and parents or whoever, get it together because that's the solution. You don't have to go to you know Sacramento and California, Washington, D.C. Um, you go locally to where you are and put something together out of your own volition. And I think this is one of the building blocks for the voluntary world that will be created, I believe, which is inev inevitable. That's well said, man. Thank you for that. Yeah, and man. 100%, dude. Sorry, Sean. 
Oh, Will, please uh, tell me, uh, do you agree with the exit and build strategy there, Will? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and this is, you know, part of the silver lining is that there's there are tons of people speaking out and there an action is being created. It's just getting the parent to take that first step to become the seeker and 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 dive into information. There's I mean, since the whole pandemic uh, bullshit, right, there's been groups. People are getting together in local areas. And, right. you know, with the listeners now, you probably have in your local area a group of homeschoolers, unschoolers, um, like minded, freedom minded individuals getting together. I mean, platforms like Telegram uh, make that easy. You know, you just have to get out there. You have to activate and look and seek for that information. Uh, of course, homeschool leader, David's resources, phenomenal. So there's the info is out there. It's just people need to, to dive into it. Um, so that's another thing that parents can do. They can work with other parents and they can have, you both mentioned David and Will, you both talked about, you know, working together with your neighbors that also have kids like uh, people that you trust and care about people in your family that, you know, like, can, like, I'm, I expect, I fully expect to be a teacher when, uh, you know, I mean, I already am, I guess my son's like three now, you know, but I mean, I expect to be a teacher the whole way and to help as many kids as I can, you know? And I think that, uh, I think that people should like the freedom cells thing with, uh, with John Bush and, uh, um, uh, Derek Bros. Yeah, yeah, they they did such a great job to connecting people to each other. And it's so important because we are all individuals. And, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of people listening and everybody thinks that they're, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just, a, you know, the one acorn in a, in a, you know, like a wide open field of nothingness, just all statists yeah. everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, it seems like you're in this, uh, but really people like us are everywhere there are little pockets of genius that you can be friends with, you know, like uh, Freeman fly told me that your, your real job in this world is to be a good friend. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's what it is. Like the real vet, like, you know, money is worthless. It's like, uh, you know, the, all the, all the goodness of God comes through people. And if you can connect to others and share what gifts you have to help your, you know, your kid and others, like they, if they're, if they feel the same, uh, you know, there can be a whole new way and that everybody can just start tomorrow. It doesn't even have to be like, Oh, I need desks and pencils. Like, you know, it, it can be like, it can be whatever you want. You know what I mean? It's infinite imagination. Uh, what do you think of that, David? Yeah. There was a great quote by somebody. He said, if I lost everything, just give me my people and I'll have everything back within two to three years, Right. which is the whole system can collapse. Everything can you know, be burned up, but give me my people, give me my team. And that's what we're building now, you know, over the last few years, finding out who are the good men and women, because the bad actors, they're not going to have people to lean on, people to support, mm -hmm. to trade whatever, you know, they're bringing to the table. It's like, dude, Very you're good. violent, man. You are being a violent thug and here's video of it, you know? And so yeah. they're not thinking that far ahead, but us, we're like, okay, if the system goes down with, you know, with all these derailments and all these food factories being built, it's like, okay, as Kissinger said, I think it was 1970, uh, 71 and uh, 
memorandum 200, I think it was. The food is food is a weapon, and yeah. they know that. So that's what these guys are so desperate. We know their names: Rockefellers, Carnegies, Skull and Bones, um, Council on Foreign Relations. All these we we can see them. We saw what they did with 9/11. But if they can control the food. Now, now that's how they control the masses. You know, we don't have a money printing machine. We actually got to produce. We actually got to go to work. Right. And, um, and that's so why they poisoned Ohio, like we were saying. That's why the derailment you're talking about. Right? Yeah, that's because what it, it that's poisons how... the farmland. And now yep. what do they got to go work now? They can't mm -hmm. go have a farm. The government just, oh, your, your land is poisoned. Let's take it. You know, mm -hmm. go live in the city. You know, mm. it's Agenda 2020, you know, or, you know. Yep, uh, 2030, 2020, yeah, all of it. And they, right. they want to enslave everybody. So um, so this is where it is going with the solution mindset and, and being a good person. Like, it's, to your point, was being a good friend. It's so insane how simple it is, but it's like, how do you do that? Do I protect myself? How much vulnerability do I give, and et cetera? But ultimately, it is... Um, I think self journeying, self exploration, seeing the God or goddess in each person out there and recognizing, Hey, we're all doing our best that we can with right. the knowledge and awareness that we have. And as long as you don't use violence against me, dude, you're on my team, you know, but if you start using violence or I see you use violence against peaceful people, like that's a red flag. And I have another group called voluntary village creators because I, after going to a Narcopoco and these other freedom events, Year after year, I'm like, and like you guys, you know, I'm like, I don't want to just hang out, hang out once a year. I want to be neighbors. And I'm not talking yeah. about like, you know, or I can see your like through your window, but like, hey, you know, you get five acres or three acres and I'm, you know, and I got five acres. And we're like, hey, what's up, Will? Hey, James. Hey, Sean. What's yeah. up? You know? And that's so, a dream. That's a dream. right. That's yeah. where it's going. That is where it's going. And then um, I spoke to another lady and she's like, oh, intentional communities are very difficult. And I said, yeah. She said, oh, my family tried it, this and that. She said, what you want to do is have your own independent homestead in the same vicinity. That way you don't have to, you know, have 10 people to make a decision on, you know, what color we're going to turn the house or something. You know, it's like too many chefs in the kitchen, right? So That like, way it aligns oh. self-ownership. Like it goes along with reality. If you mm. try to put yourself in with those, I'm five people now. You can't. Yes. Like, really, you got to like break it down to the individual and that. That's a good point. Um, and it's good to have close individual because, you know, because it's better than like only being able to talk to you through the computer. Because when there are roving bands coming through the streets, you know, uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not looking forward. The black pill in my mind is a lot worse than what I talk about on this show, you know. Sure. And, uh, and when when that happens, it's good to to know your neighbors and to be in good, uh, you know, to know their their moral center and to know that they are a light like you, you know. And if you can meet these kit these people in these homeschool situations, like you know, it's perfect. You know, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for people to um, to to really bond and and show their talent. And, you know, and share, uh, I think really that's where it's going to grow. And the agorism that, you know, Derek Bros promotes and this, uh, you know, the how to exit out of the technocratic. So, you know, like, if we can get towards more uh, agrarian again, if like, if we can find a way around all the poisons and like all the, if we can find some land, then we can have 
uh, roots and true wealth, you know, um, I think that's next. They're trying to, they're going to take that away from us next, but mm. yeah. that's another thing. Sorry guys. Well, everything's on the table, man. I mean, like when they say a snake backed into the corner is the most dangerous snake you know, so we, 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 I'm not some crazy like guy and like, you know, like I'm just a regular dude and I know right. who it is, you know? Right. So, um, and there are some good status out there, right? This is the other point too, is that like, That's just true. because they believe in the flag, you know, but I find a lot of like constitutionalists are generally good people right. and I don't try to mince, I don't try to split hairs with them any longer. I think, right. um, it's too urgent of a situation to like, let's just find common ground. And here's how I open it up. I say, I promise not to force you to do something. Do you promise not to force me to do something? Yeah, I agree. Okay, great. Now we can be on the same page because normally it's not them who are forcing the jab. It's the schools, it's the grocery stores, it's the hospitals. And this is where I think the independent, the exit and build is build our own hospitals or health clinics, right. build our own schools or learning centers, our own grocery stores. And uh, the grocery store, Mike Cullum did it just north of Sacramento. So he actually has the model. And um, I did an interview with him, and he's a, he's a great guy. But there's other people out there that, um, you know, redirecting their purchases. Um, one example is um, try to refrain from buying from the mega corporations. You know, I think voting is important. When I say voting, I mean vote with your purchases, with your time, <laughs> with your energy, with your uh, attention. But, the, of course, the election process seems to be entirely uh, rigged and, um, you know, not a way to change the world. So, um, but understanding that the people are important and where we vote um, with our purchases and attention, we can build this stuff. You know, we're all geniuses and we just got to break through our learned helplessness, which I notice in myself, which is I can't do that, which hmm. is I don't know how to do that. But the most inf powerful information technology is sitting in my hand right here and I can learn how. And so can you, mom and dad. You can learn how. Begin to tell yourself, I can learn how. I don't know how, but I can learn. I don't know how, but I can figure it out. Or I can ask somebody. I can uh, find a book. Or I can search something. And there's a lot of different solutions out there. But the first one is in our thoughts, which is self-limiting, when in reality, all possibilities are available. We just have been taught that, that the world doesn't exist yeah. Um, but the reality is that you are a miracle and so is your child and how to activate that miracle is I think the task which we're invited to participate in now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I agree with that. And you know, our yeah. children are, are the, the most valuable resource on the planet because they're going to create the, the, the future society on this planet as well. So we need to invest in them, right? Um, and ultimately, to me, the great work of educating and influencing minds to to realize their their own to remember their own empowerment and sovereignty is really creating art. Right. Art is the wisdom to know and the skill to do. So this is what we're doing right now. We're creating art. Art speaks to the heart and the mind. Right. It inspires to look into something to educate. And, um, and, and this is what it's all about. Inspiration, um, inspiring our neighbors, our friends, our family, our children, our children inspire us all the time. Right. So, I mean, we can learn a great deal about, about ourselves just through our children and, and being their parents. And it's a fantastic thing. So, uh, well I, said, David, I just want to say that 
that uh, doing art can teach you about yourself just by doing it. If you trust the process, you will, your subconscious will take over. If you can eliminate, if you like, if you get the technical skills good enough and then you just keep going, like you just shoot through it or, you know, keep writing or whatever, you will find that you will learn more about yourself that you didn't know because it's a mirror, mm. you know, it's yeah, a, I, for sure. And it's yeah. unlimited, right? There's, I mean, art is just, it's creative expression right. that is actualized in, in this reality, right? So, I mean, when the system says, you know, you're a slave, you say, fuck you, I'm going to create some art and I'm going to make, I'm going to build my own grocery store or I'm going to, you know, build my own educational platform or homestead or any, all that stuff is a form of art. Right. Uh, it's what we put our care and our time and attention into. And um, so activating and creating it. And just like David, you said earlier on, um, I forget the quote, but it's starving the beast to make it obsolete. And yeah. um, and it's eventually going to get there. It just depends on how many generations and lifetimes it's going to take. So what we do right now is is vital. That's yeah. right. And the story of you mothers and fathers out there who had taken your child out, I hope you tell that story because when other parents hear, like there's no one, one right way to do it. And Gatto said an education should be as unique as your fingerprints. So the mm. way some other family does it, does it is not how necessarily you're going to do it, but you can figure it out for yourself and you are the creator, the artist. Um, there's a great image of a guy um, where he's like, built out of stone, but he's also the top half and he's like hammering the stone out of himself. And so that image I use as a way for letting parents know that's a self-education process. We are all that potential, but it's up to us to carve and make ourselves, meaning we are the sculptor and we're the sculpture. We're the art and we're the artist. And so this is where the you know super powerful ideas come and you're like, oh my gosh, like nobody's responsible to make me anything. I'm responsible for me. I'm the creative of myself. And as Wayne Dyer says, you know, notice between the observer and the observed. And you're like, mm. who's observing me right now? Right. So we're spiritual beings, I believe. And this has been a secret. Also, they try to make us feel like the monkey is my ancestor. When in mm. reality, the spirit of all creation is my ancestor and lives inside of me, I believe and the lives inside the children, and they know that. And so what I love about Terrence McKenna and how you brought up some art, Will, was the importance of art is super critical. And what Terrence says is that the artists are responsible for seeing the future and then bringing it back to present time, and whether it's through pictures or words or music or sculptures or whatever, they show the people now what is possible in the future. And this is why art is no longer in the schools. <laughs> this is why right. music's not there because they want them the left brain, logical engineering, you know, turn the thing. But art is more important today than ever before in history. So I'm like a little closet poet. And so I'm remembering these things like, oh, I got to speak. I got to do more stuff. I got to, you know, use TikTok or use Insta or something to make the music. And um, I think uh, John's doing some good stuff. John Rowan with like some rap. I'm like, that's awesome, dude. Um, 
there's a great artist called Diesel Automatic, yeah. which I was uh, introduced to. I said, oh my gosh, dude, this dude's full voluntarius. I, he calls up, I think he, uh, I haven't heard, had him, heard him say voluntarism, but he know he talks about natural law and sovereignty. Yeah, and such. he does. So, yeah, so it's like that dude, his music is going to be relevant in 10 years. Whereas these other people, I don't even know modern day rappers, but they suck in general. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Because they're not talking about anything. What are you talking about, dude? Drugs in jail again? Come on, man. We're raising the frequency, the consciousness, to love, to truth, to family, to protection, to health, to abundance. Like, there's a lot of better subjects than what you guys are talking about. And Diesel Automatic is one of the dudes that uh, I listen to him like, yeah, dude, this is my guy. And uh, I guess, I don't know his story, but I think he's over in Europe and mm-hmm. he's uh, you know, some drug charge. They try to, you know, throw him in a cage for, you know, uh, exercising self-ownership. It's like, dude, they got yeah. so many people in this system. And there. it is not okay. Ross Albrook and Schaefer Cox and these boys that are like, you know, peaceful dudes, good dudes. And it's a matter of time till they come after us. Um, they threw me in a cage for two weeks. Uh, last year because of my activism down in Santa Cruz. And it's like, for what? For exercising my freedoms? Like, oh, and I said, oh, this is the system. Got it. So just leave the system. And the metaphor that I see is the state is a Titanic that is sinking. And it is inevitable. It is sinking. However, when that happens in real life, it's a vacuum and it pulls the other ships, little safety, the um, safety um, uh, boats in. So the goal is to get as far away from the sinking Titanic so the, um, the sinking power doesn't suck me in with it um, yeah. because it is going down. I believe it is an inevitable and hopefully I see it in my lifetime. But if not, you know, we'll be able to, you know, look back on this just like we look back on Lysander Spooner and Murray Rothbard and Samuel Conkin and Auburn Herbert and all these dudes who were speaking the truth a hundred years ago and, and beyond. And it's like, those guys are legends, man. I don't know what they're doing now in the spiritual world, but I'm so grateful that those guys spoke their truth amidst all the, you know, statism and constitutionalism. And, you know, it's like, yeah, America's great, but we can do better. And it's not the American dream. It is the human dream. And it is to be free. It is to be left alone. Is to be respected for our, our beautiful um, beingness, male, female, doesn't matter your color. It's a human family. And as sooner that other people can get this, we win. It, it is a psychological battle, in my opinion. The info war is real, and it's a belief war, and they're losing right now. So, yes, it's going like this, and they're going to take some people, but there's yeah. too many people that see what's going on. And I think us, because we know it's through voluntary consensual relationships – you guys are really important. I'm not just saying that. Seriously, dude, you guys are really important. So I want to make sure, you know, protect these guys at all t- at all costs. <laughs> That's great, man. Dude, well said, man. Well said. The um so the uh the the system is going to perpetuate unless we actually do the action, take our kids out because we were like we were put in that cog and we were made to perpetuate the system and we can be the ones like like if if our if we are voluntary as parents we make the the action to pull our kids out that's that's saving the next generation you know this is like uh this is i mean they need to get on the lifeboat now mm. with us and 
get out of there because if they if if not they're going to be trained with the masks and they're going to be sprayed with chemicals all the time and they're going to be you know running around for like scared of shooters and stuff like right. it's um you know it's up to us to be the good stewards of these children and take them to safety into the you know onto the lifeboat and start rowing as fast as we can and and be responsible for ourselves instead of looking to be like oh what do i do i'm gonna yell in the street you know you'll get put in a cage you know and like if you're in the street yelling that's where they club you with a stick or they shoot you like snipers can just kill you you know what i mean when it comes down to it i mean ultimately you're a sitting duck if you're out there just screaming you know yeah um, that woman that you showed, that's an example of her being in the lifeboat too close to the Titanic. Mm, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. she, she was doing what's right. She was doing what's good. She escaped the Titanic. She was, hey, what's the curriculum? But this is a criminal organization that right. will just mow down anything within its, in its range. And God bless that woman. But she just hasn't gotten the, the truth, which is this thing is going down. It's going to take all the children with it, unfortunately. And it's not because there's bad teachers necessarily. It's coercive. It's big money. And you're not going to change it from a compartmentalized, fragmented uh, situation. The coercive is part, the coercion is the worst part. So, anyways, that was just the, I think, the um, personification of somebody who's doing what's right, but she was too close to it. She should have gotten further away, just pulled her kids out. And, and I think she would have ended up um, in a better situation rather than getting sued by the teachers union. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's ultimately it comes back to, again, is a, it's a, a fear of sacrifice. You know, these, a lot of people, they get close, they, you know, they're touching the third rail and they're like, Oh, and then they want to start yelling at the top of their lungs about the injustice that they, that they're suffering from. And it's just like, no, they're they're your children you're responsible for them you brought them into this world take them out of the school or better yet how in the hell in this day and age did you ever even put them in there in the first place right like it's not it, this is the thing that makes me so upset is people still keep putting their kids in there in the first place what is it worth do you want to be the do you want to be the parent that wakes up or like is at work and then they turn on the news and it's your school that's getting shot up, your kids in the fucking buildings, or is something tragic happening? Do you want to be that parent? I know this is fear and everything, but like for real, when's it when's it going to be that when's it going to be you? You know, are you going to be the one that your kid comes home and next thing you know they want to mutilate their bodies at the age of eight years old? Do you want to be that parent that has to sit there and, and worry about whether or not you're going to be raked across the coals because you disagree with something that the schools are putting into your kids' heads? Right. They are mind control. That's what they're doing to your kids in there. It's a slave. Like we named the episode, it's it's mind control at the slave factory. Right. That's what they're doing. They're, they're inculcating into your young kids' minds with the most impressionable people at the most impressionable time of their lives. They're putting these ideas into their heads, and they have no right to do it. It's right. totally and utterly just wrong. It's incorrect. They have no right to do these things. They, they take young kids away from their parents so the parents can go and do a job. And where did the parents get the idea that they had to go and do the job from? The same system that you're sacrificing your children to. 
Right. Well, it's like this this revolving door of chaos and mind control, and everyone's going to get churned under unless some people just step up and just not do it. Don't put your kids in there in the first place. Is my message. Get them out. Take them out. Take them out. Take them out tomorrow, and then and then have a nice long talk with them over the uh, however many months you take off from any sort of you know education from there on out. Have a nice long talk with them. Have some ice cream and sit down and just learn your lesson and say, "Wow, we're not going to do that again, are we?" And then when they grow up and they have their own kids, you guys can bond again and say, "Yay, we're going to stop this trauma with the next generation. We're going to learn that lesson. We're going to actually learn the lesson and take the action that needs to be." taken in order to show the universe that you learned the lesson <laughs> you're not going to keep doing it you're not going to keep the trauma going you're going to stop the pain and you're going to just cut it off you know right at the source rip it out root and stem and then just stop it it's not even at this point at this point it's not even about for me personally it's not even about like you know trying to you know, cause waves with any sort of, you know, ruling class or anything like that. It's, it's about not even exposing my children to the ruling class. Like as much as I can keep them away from the crosshairs of that, of that, that weapon, because it's really what it is. And people don't understand it like that. It's, it's an attack on people's psychology. It's an attack on their very, the, the, their very spirit, is taking away the natural and and giving back something that's fake. And it's, it's, yeah, it's absolute slavery of the mind. And that's where like, that's where the modern day slavery takes place. We have places in the world right now where there is still very much real physical slavery, but in the, but like in the industrialized world, it's no longer, so much physical slavery it's more mental where they're tricking you into going and doing the things that they need to have you do in order to keep the machine going and now we can have our own smaller versions of machines in our own voluntarist communities where we know the people that that are benefiting from all of it and we can have these perfect things going on it is possible it's absolutely possible but all it takes is some preventative measures realizing the truth of the matter is that these people are are even the school teachers? They're the school teachers are even tricked into thinking that they're doing something altruistic. Right. Even they are victims of this system. Yes. We, we need to get through to them as well. The woman in the video, she's just you know right outside of the thing, but it's just like no, you can make as much noise as you want. Take your kids. You want to make noise? Take your kids out of the school. And make noise about what's about to happen to you when you do that, because hmm. then then you get their attention. Then they come and they come in with the they come with the authorities, depending on which state you're in. They'll come with truancy officers. They'll come and knocking on the door and making sure that you're. In some states, it's uh, and David, you know this because you're 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 well uh, you're you're well plugged into many different states in the way that the homeschooling thing goes on in those other states. But I I. Am I wrong to say that in some states that it's very, very difficult to homeschool children? Mm, yes. I would say it used to be illegal in the 80s, okay? Wow. Homeschooling was illegal in this country, in free America. It's still illegal in Germany, okay? So, like, the, the, the people it's who crazy. broke open homeschooling in the United States was the fundamental Christians, okay? So, again, finding common ground with people 
dude, if they're promoting homeschooling, I'm like, great. Now they do yeah. school at home in general. Okay. That's kind of a blanket statement, but in general, they want to, you know, introduce the Bible to them and their kids. That's fine. It's their children, their household. Um, but <clears throat> homeschooling is legal in all 50 States in America right now, the United States. So, um, I would say join the associations or somehow support them, start your own association. Uh, there's a homeschool legal defense organization, which is helping parents with CPS type cases. Most of CPS's effectiveness is in the terrorism. Parents are like, I'm afraid, like you said, of the truancy officers and, um, and stuff like that. There are cases where it happens, but it's all political. So if you're like a political candidate and your family is a homeschooling family or um, your grandkids or something like that, they'll kind of use the system. Um, again, government is organized crime. Right. So you're going after the ring of power. I told this to a friend who's running for mayor recently. Um, I saw another guy run for Congress person. I'll, I'll say the name, Roger Veer. He ran for Congress person and um, he, he ran on a voluntarist platform. And then I think a year after that, they came after him and threw him in jail because he was selling fireworks on, on eBay. And it's like, why would they go after him? Because they look for any type of competition on the field and they want to get rid of people. And so they don't want people out there that are speaking the truth about, you know, empowering children, freedom. And anyways, so every state's legal. And the most important thing is, you know, who you are. And anytime uh, you're in communication with a government agent, government employee, either it's through email only or it's with a video camera if they come to your door. And you got to use either the Bill of Rights or your own natural rights to shield them off. Um, I was arrested in a post office two years ago for not wearing a mask when the sign says mask recommended. And so I, anyways, they arrested me, threw me in jail. They, they never filed charges. I've never seen the police report, although I've requested it multiple times because wow. this is just a criminal organization and they're just like, get them and throw them in jail. Just get them. And so now I'm suing them. So I'm now a plaintiff in a federal lawsuit. Is it going to work? I don't know. I'm just learning. I'm trying to see what's going on, awesome. but I, I don't want to be violent, right? Like if they come after my kids, what am I going to do? You know, like I'm responsible for protecting that innocent, vulnerable child. So right. I got to learn about the lawsuits. There's a word or potential that there's a list called the do not detain list, which means if you detain this person, they're going to sue your ass. So don't detain them. Don't, you know, mess with them. And so I'm trying to get on that list, you know, so all the feds out there, Hey, just put me on the list and leave me alone. Um, and, and even like the NSA feds people, like you guys, you're most likely not part of the club. You're like on the lower middle part of it, dude. Your guys are going to get screwed by the RFID chip as well. They're going to try yeah. to starve your family too. They're going to make you get the jab. So if you become aware of the real bad actors at the highest level, and we're talking about Fauci and above, they know they're mass murdering people, <laughs> but the doctors yeah. and stuff, they're like, Hey man, like, I think it's kind of good. You know, I'm not sure, but <laughs> now all this data is coming out. They know it didn't work. So this is going to happen again until enough people stop paying the taxes, which, you know, property taxes is uh, how you, the schools get funded. So right. again, another conversation which maybe you don't have a house. Maybe you have a church. 
maybe you're a spiritual being and you're how and God owns everything that you have and put everything in the church's name. Like there's different ways to play within the system without being, you know, yelling at the buildings. And, uh, you know, we did that too in Santa Cruz. We went to the downtown with the bullhorn during the lockdowns. Uh, but again, it was a re-educational process of like, what, all, what are we doing? What is the solution that we're bringing? And um, now we're like, oh, there's so, a bigger agenda at play. We got to start to raise our game up. So you learned the word magic, basically, right? Yes. There's a specific terms. Uh, church. Oh, okay. Once it's a church, then the government leaves it alone because that's, you know, codified in the constitution. Separation of church and state. Yeah. Right. Private, private domain. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. Because really it is all mm -hmm. word magic. It's, it's one big net of words. I mean, and the words that they use in law is different than the words that we use. Like it's got a different definition, you know, that's how yes. they loop us in with it. That's how they trick us into income tax. It's like how like all this. It's ultimately I mean, contracts, really. You know, yes. their their offers are out there, and you either tacitly agree or or <laughs> you agree just from lack of knowledge, right? So, I mean, I get this a lot. You know, people email me and stuff on on this aspect, and you know, they're like they're in a split relationship. They're co-parenting. One of the parents, you know, once. The kid to go to public school the other one is you know a lot more aware and doesn't want to do that what's the resolve right mm -hmm. well one the person that's you know more aware needs to educate themselves and to try to communicate with the other parent to bring options to the table to to meet in middle ground somehow you don't want to go to court right because obviously the system is going to um is going to just side with the parent that's promoting and condoning the system we right. see this in the uh in the, the needle craft right the genetic modification um uh jabs and stuff right i mean two parents had they're in opposition of course the court's going to side with the one that's you know leaning towards the experts right. same so thing you, with the general mutilation. grammar same thing with the general mutilation too some sure. dads or mom one one parent doesn't want the kid to to change over, you know, and then the other one's like, no, <laughs> and then, you know, and then I'm going to use the state. And then like, yeah. then the government comes in and says, Oh, you must use pronouns with your kid. You must allow them to have top surgery at whatever age, <laughs> you know, like, it's just, it's really sick. So well, I mean, th this is another reason I, I kind of bring this into the grammar stage, right? It's mm. even, even in the allegory, the matrix, Neo still did work in the matrix. And what is, what do I mean by that? Meaning that understanding how the system works, the terminology, and then using it against them as best to your ability. Right. Um, that's something like what David was touching on as well. I mean, I've seen this work in certain cases. Again, it, it, it could be hit or miss or, you know, I mean, it could it could be beneficial. So you just don't you just don't go into the system blind. You've got to do your research and educate yourself and, right. um, and 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 try to you know do what you can. Right. That's really important. Yeah, it's pretty easy. To, it's pretty easy to get everything that you want or, or, or uh, <laughs> to well, to get what you want when the mob is on your side, you know what I mean? Like these parents that are out there, like, you know, uh, oh, uh, 
fighting against maybe the mom and dad are broken up or whatever and they you know the dad's like i don't want my kids to be you know like what you guys were talking about sorry i'm I'm stumbling a little bit but yeah it's pretty easy to get what you want when the mob is on your side you can use the you can use the boot of the of the state to stomp on what the other person's saying and this is where like the moral relative uh, relativity of like the government and the state and you know the mob in general comes into comes into play because it doesn't matter what's right or wrong at that point it's just what everyone else is saying and like this is what i want to do i want to go with the crowd and they're going to have my back and it's just an intimidation tactic that they use time and time and time again you know throughout the pendulum is swinging the other way again you know what i mean it's changing it doesn't yeah like they've pushed it so far the pendulum they're they're planning on that pendulum swinging back and hitting you so hard in the head it knocks you out They want to use use it as a weapon against you. Think about it. The kids that they're training right now in about 40 years are going to be the ones in charge of the show. So they'll be wearing a mask every day. All they have to do do is is get the ideas in the kids' heads now for the things that they want in 40 years. Right. And then in 40 years, it'll be much easier. Like with the whole gun control thing. What do you think? They're going to just convince all the old NRA members to like give them up. They think they're going to convince people like myself to just lay them down and give them up. No, what they're going to do is they're going to put it in cartoons. They're going to put it in education. They're going to put it in all these different places where they know they can reach the most impressionable people amongst us, which are the children, which is exactly why my point er uh, to my point earlier about why they even take, they're trying to take kids even as young as three years old now and put them in state run education systems. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah, I think Joe Biden was talking so, about that. He wanted two more years younger. From yeah. And then, and, and then provide two more years on the back end of Ugh. it in the form of community college. So that's a, to- uh, that's a total of like 16 years in total of public education that people have uh, that they can, that they can take. And, or, it's or worse than indentured servitude. It's like twice, it's double. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is how severe it really is, and people don't see it that way. And it's like it's the reason why they don't see it that way is because of how long they were in the system, and how long that the that they've been just told to commit the advercundiums over and over and over again, and just like, oh well, I don't have a white lab coat, or oh well. I don't have a blue suit with a badge. Oh, well, oh, I'm not the guy with the red tie on the TV and like all this other stuff. It's just, they I can't, can't teach my kids. Yeah. Well, they, what, what David was talking about earlier about having the, the lack of confidence and the bar has been set so low when it comes to just what you need to do to even be a school teacher in the first place. Like, it, it's just like, oh, yeah. You know, I, I don't see it, you know, I don't, I don't see it firsthand, but I don't imagine you really have to do much. Uh, you get to go through some schooling that they want you to go through, but I mean, the, the confidence is not there amongst a lot of people. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that like when you're, uh, when you're coming out of the, out of, you know, out of your own habits and you're trying to do something new. And that you you've woken up and you're trying to do something new and trying to like maybe keep your kids out of out of public schools. There's going to be a growing pains for the parent as well. And what's going to happen is is, is you're going to want to revert to what's easy, but you can't. 
that when in the face of what it, in the in the face of what is coming down the pike for your own children, you can't just revert to doing what is easy. You, you you're going to want to give up. You're going to want to run to the hills and just throw your hands in the air and say, "I can't do this. I can't do this." You're going to want to do that. It's going to happen, especially when everything that you've been trained to do is to you know uh, appeal to authority throughout your entire life. That's what you've been trained to do. So when you've woken up to at least enough of what's going on and how the children are being targeted and you don't want to, you don't want to put them in the crosshairs, there's going to, like, man, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I got to say it. I got to really say it. There's going to come a time where your confidence is going to be just taken out at the knees. There's going to come a time where you want to throw your hands in the air and say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I got to send my kid to the public school. I got to do the thing that's easy. I got to do the thing that's provided for me that I'm, that I can be dependent on. I implore you do not give in to those desires. Do not give in to that little voice in the back of your head telling you, you can't do it because that's just that one day. Tomorrow's a new one and tomorrow it could be easier. And then another day could be harder. This is how we got to live our lives in this in this day and age when it comes to trying new things and trying to change the world for the better in the future is we can't just revert back to the things that we've been trained to do. So when you have that tough day, just remind yourself it's just today. And then tomorrow it could be better. And we can we can take it a step at a time. And then pretty soon you're you're making plans and the step at a time thing is kind of in the past where it should be. And you're gonna leave it there in the past because that's where it existed. And you're gonna take the future and you're gonna live a better, better life for the future. And that one day at a time thing, it becomes a week, maybe a month, whatever, however it all comes about, but it gets easier as more time goes on. And what you're gonna experience is a lot of reward that you're the one actually taking responsibility for your kids. And that they're going to be looking up at you, smiling, knowing that they can trust you and that their relationship with the world itself is going to be much more well-rounded and it's going to be a much more trust-based thing. And they can, they can not feel that sense of abandonment they can, they, that's in their subconscious that they maybe don't even really understand that's there, but it's there and they re- react to it in their own ways. Everyone's different and the reaction is different for everybody. But I really just want to inspire people to like not give in to just fight the good fight for what it, for what it's worth. And if you have to, and this is what we're going through right now in my household, we have an outside tutor and it, and it's because we understand and everybody. And again, you want the kids to develop on their own and their own time. But there are some, you know, people like myself who really, really want my kids. I, I want my kids to know how to read. My wife and I are on the same page. We really, you know, and we're, we're struggling. And in order to uh, combat that little voice in the back of our heads, we've hired, well, not really hired, but we have an outside tutor come in and we, you know, and it's, it's from a charter school. So there's different, there's different avenues that you can go to. So um, really all I'm comfortable really saying is that like, for the love of God, just keep your kids out of the buildings. Like start there, start at least there's a starting point. That's my advice to people. Find something that's a starting point where you're kind of tipping the scales in your favor, where like you're, you're taking more control and and you're helping your kids realize their, their control over their lives and that you're not at least not subjecting them to being in that building. 
you know um that's that's a starting point what do you what do you guys have to what do you guys yeah. think about that oh yeah man keep them out of there it's, it's like people say it's difficult to homeschool i say it's difficult to drop your kids off to total strangers for 12 years when you don't know what's going on so i think the schools um are metaphorically on fire mom and dad so it doesn't matter what you do just get them out and uh to your point james um your your how old are your kids again james my son is six my daughter just turned two okay so those are very young ages still and i i can sense the desire to ensure that they're reading and you know keeping up but there is no um i say schedule when children are supposed to learn these things okay so just understand that all these you know, they're reading at a second grade level. They're reading at a sixth grade level. That's all made up. That is all an imaginary fiction to suit the school. So I have a friend, her daughter's eight years old, not reading. And I said, don't worry about it. Your daughter wants to read when she wants to read. She wants to activate and initiate her own genius. And even if they're 10, not reading, that's okay. So it's, it's you, mom and dads, who are looking at their face and saying, oh my gosh, you can't read, oh no. They can feel that. But hmm. if they're 10 or 12 and they're like, you can't read, no problem. You'll read, you'll read when, you, when, you, when you need to, I trust you. I believe in you, I know you got it in you. So they're looking in your eyes for their self-concept, for their self-identity, for their right. self-confidence. And eventually, 11, 12, 13, 14, they're gonna take the self-confidence that you instilled with them through your words, through your language and energy I say, thanks, mom and dad. I got it from here. And they're going to leave, right? They're going to go run and they're going to be so fast off to the, you know, off to the races. So it doesn't matter if your child learns to read at eight or 10 or 12 or 14. By the time they're 16, 17, 18, and they're reading like a champion, no one's going to say, hey, what age did you learn to read? You know, that's not how the world works. The world's going to say, hey, read this. Okay, we'll take care of it. Let's go do some business. So, um, again, the framing of a timeline, like you remember Bush's No Child Left Behind, or or you'll hear it in the news. <laughs> the, the last two years, the pandemic, you know, we've lost 20 years of progress. That's all statism. That's all mythological, you know, Santa Claus and the fairy, you know, uh, fairy dust. It's just like, no, you, you don't lose time. It's individual. Everything's individual and everybody's on their own path. And if you force learning, we, we don't like it. But if you, it's called strewing or scattering information, and that can be through video games or movies or comic books or cartoons or whatever, the child wants to have a breakthrough. And so um, the phonetic system from the Phoenicians, they crack the code. And so now they broke down meaning to sounds, whereas the Chinese had meanings by pictures. So that's what the whole sight language reading is. You're memorizing pictures. That's for deaf people. But for actual people who can hear and see, it's a sound code. And once you get the vowels and the consonants, you can crack the code. And so speaking to them is more important than reading, in my opinion. Speak, 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 listen, listen, listen. And eventually they'll be like, oh, what are you doing, mom and dad? And it's like, oh, reading. And then you can do the children's book and you can read with them and follow with the finger 
So they see other sounds to letters. Interesting, right? And the ABC song, get that going on. Um, but age six, brother, I think you got plenty of time. And I would you know, take a deep breath. Um, although there is a guy named Glenn Doman, and he focuses on early childhood reading. And so, you know, you can, you can look up some of his work as well. Um, but the most important thing for success in 2023 and beyond for young people is to maintain that love of learning. I hated reading because it was forced on me. But when I was 21, a mentor said, read this book. I was like, all right. I read it in like, uh, you know, three days, four days, Think and Grow Rich. <clears throat> I said, turns out there's interesting books out there. So <laughs> I got a coffee. But that's the point is that all these timelines are all false and just the love of learning is the secret. I love that he was able to say that about like the child's view of himself is formed by the parent. And I really love that. And I want people to hear that again, because um, that's really what we're doing. We're building the self of, of him or her, you know, and like they, they need to have an inner voice that says, I love myself and I want it. And I care about these things. You know, I have morality. Like if that core is there and if, if you can give that like if you just show how you love this person every time you know like all the time and like they just know it like it's you know of course my daddy loves me whatever what's for lunch you know like they just as long as they know it it then they have something to build upon and um like you know learning to read is just like a it's like a nuts and bolts type of thing you know it'll they'll get there once they have the, once they have the care, you know, and they, and the desire to go like self-directed learning is like such a good term uh, because once they realize that they want to learn something, like, how do I learn it? You know, Oh, you got to read these books and like, Oh, well, okay. You know, and then they'll get it, you know, because they'll have the desire. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, like, that's where we're at is like there's so many things that that little Jameson wants to be able to do, and it's like this, you know, it, it, it's like this, uh, like a speed bump or a roadblock or how something like that, where we're sitting there going, "Well, you want to do those things? That's great, you you know, but you got to learn how to read." <laughs> oh, and it's like, well, dude, you got to learn how to read, you know, like. Yeah. So let's get you to learn how to read. You want to learn how to read? Fine. And I see it like the same way as like, you want to learn how to play a guitar? Well, let's sign you up for guitar lessons. These are just reading lessons, you know? And it's like, that's, I want to inspire people to be able to take those, take those steps. You know, if like, if your kid's like, I want to do it, like, it's all about what you want to do, man. You want to do it? Like, let's do it. You know? Okay. Let's, uh, my job is to provide you with the resources in order to meet your goals. Like I'm your dad. I'm, I, I'm or like, she's your mom. Like that's our job here is to provide you those resources. And, and the resources see. happen to be books. Yeah. 
it's like, oh, you want well, you know, is, yeah. like, well, you know, like we're having trouble figuring out how to really teach you how to read because when I learn how to, when I go to learn how to read or, you know, when I'm, when I'm reading a book, it's like some thick novel about, you know, about logic or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I can't teach you how to read out of this or, you know, it's like government, the biggest scam hist- in history exposed. And it's like, well, that yeah. one, maybe I think that'll work. That's a good one. Maybe when he's 10. <laughs> I'll just leave that one around. You can pick it up on your own. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, but you know, when it comes to breaking free from the statist kind of, uh, kind of mentality, it's very tough. And it's like, it, it, so like, I just wanted to be able to tell a bunch of people out there to like, just stay with it, please. Like, cause you can do it. And it's like an old saying actually just right now comes to mind from AA where they say, um, it works if you work it. So work it cause you're worth it. Right. And that's, that's like just popped into my head right now. So like, I kind of wanted to make sure that it's, it's the same. Another, another thing, like James, you talked about getting them out of the school. Uh, we've, isn't don't you have something like an article about if they're in school on a certain day then they're just going to be vaccinated that mean if they're there like do you um, have a thing for that i don't i don't have that prepared okay. uh, but like there are there are certain um there there are certain days out of the year where that just by sending your child to the building you're consenting to the school then like the school nurse or whoever they call in the pediatrician or whatever to come in and like administer the flu shot or even, wow. even a COVID shot, I Jesus. believe. Um, don't, you know, so look it up right. for yourself. I would employ you to do that, but they just actually came. Um, they, they just actually, uh, that had just happened in New Hampshire, I think last year. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That's cause that's, that's kind of terrible. So, yeah. So yeah. like, that's very important. Keep your kids out of that building. Right. But, um, shall, shall we, David, uh, you, are you going to be saying good, good night and goodbye? Yeah. If I can, I had a little frog in my throat here, but ribbit, ribbit. I got to shake, shake to the next appointment, but, um, it's really an honor to spend some time with you guys and, and Will and Sean and James. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this, know that you are not alone. <clears throat> There's over estimated 5 million homeschoolers right now in the United States. And it's likely going to increase by another 50, maybe 100% in the next year, two years. So there's new communities that are being formed. There's new leaders in the communities that are starting to take action and getting their child out. I would say that's step one. Because after you get your child out of a burning building, then you can worry about what they're going to do with their time. But while they're in there, the statism is being downloaded, the genderism, the racism, the flags on the wall. It's so diabolical. So the solution seems to be get them out, focus on the, the inner self and the love of learning, the joy of life. And one day your child's going to grow up and they're going to move out. So why would you want to hand your child off to total strangers who gets to have them for seven days for 12 years? These are the glory days with your children. And if you can remember how beautiful it is to come back and meet your parents, if you had a good relationship with your parents, or if you have a bad relationship with your parents, this is what you get to create right now. And I would say that the goal 
is to have unconditional love and a beautiful trusting relationship so that when they are adults, they do want to come back home. And one day we're going to have to take care of our parents. So, you know, thankfully my mom and dad love me. So I'm going to do my best to, you know, help them transition, you know, after the, their body, you know, is, is aged and decrepit and their spirit goes on somewhere else. <clears throat> so some families don't have that, you know, and, and, and many people listen here, you know, there's a, 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 um, a divide between the relationship and a lot of it's because of the schools, you know, like the parents saying, do the schoolwork. And the child's like, no, I don't want to. So they're turning the parent into an agent of the state. And also they're turning the child into an agent of the state. Understand there is an agenda to enslave your unborn grandchildren and for generations forever. So what is your agenda for your family? What are you doing to ensure that your ancestors, that your genealogy, that your children are free in five years, in 10 years. I realize we can't do it overnight as much as we'd like to, but just as we're planting seeds and growing watermelon or eggplant or whatever we're planting, it takes time to grow an apricot tree or a lemon tree. Start planting now. Start envisioning the future for 2025, 2028, 2030, 2035, because understand that there's criminals who don't know your name, but they're targeting you and they're targeting me. And so we're not going to sit around and be sitting ducks. We're going to put up our shields or like a porcupine, maybe put up our little pokey things, just leave us alone. And this is the energy that's rising. Nobody likes to be forced to do anything. And the conversation will, will reach your doorstep. If you stay silent, hopefully it's, it gets stopped at your city or stopped at the County. But a lot of people are feeling this agenda 21 sustainability climate, you know, BS. It's all in the, in the name of hyper wealthy predator psychopaths trying to chip you and slave you and humanity will win, will win, I believe, but they have all the money. So we have the, the intellectual capital. We have energetic spiritual capital and righteousness and truth and goodness and morality, all these things worth laying our life on the line for and i believe we're all gonna live a long life um none of us are suicidal i believe i know i'm not so you know keep shining and put it into the child as uh, will said the children are the future the most important thing on the planet is the child and you you are the children we are the children so when you look into your child see them see and i like when i look in kids eyes i see me i see me when i was like five or eight and I was waiting for somebody to teach me about self-ownership. I was waiting for somebody to teach me about non-aggression and self-defense. When I found it, I realized, oh my gosh, I got the holy grail, which is life is beautiful. It is amazing to be a human being. Let us expand our consciousness, increase our self-expression and creative art endeavors. And let's really experience what it is to be a human, what it is to be a male, a female. And you know, whatever happens after this, we don't know. But experience this thing to have the creative fulfillment and joy and peace and love and everything that we came to this earth for. And that's all within our children and our, our grandchildren and everything like that. And it's all in the community. So that's what we're building here guys. And it's just a great uh, pleasure and joy to be with you. Um, you all that um, are really visionary men on the planet. So much respect for you. And I look forward to, uh, to doing it again and getting an update and talking about whatever else is next again because we're going to keep having this conversation probably uh, for the next 10, 20, 30 years, maybe more, 
Uh, but maybe we can do our part and uh, make schools obsolete and just remove the children and then it will shrivel up like a raisin on the vine and we won't have to fight anybody. We just escape and leave and build a free voluntary world, one relationship at a time. Well, David, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you yeah. so much for being here. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to get to talk to you again soon. And uh, thank you for all the work that you do, man. You know, if, it weren't, if, if not for you, you know, there'd still be a lot of people out there unaware and, uh, and not and just not confident. So thank you so much for everything that you do, David. Where can the listeners uh, come and find you, David? Could you give everybody uh, a good place where, I mean, give them a good direction as to where they can find you and where, and if, if they need to contact you or if they want to work with you, uh, please tell yeah. them. Yeah. Thank you. Um, look up David James Rodriguez.com. <clears throat> Or you can email me at info at thevaloracademy.com. I do early high school graduations and uh, one-on-one consulting <clears throat> group events as well. Um, if you want to have them come out and do some training for your, for your groups, um, <clears throat> this is the conversation that many people are having. So anyways, yeah, that, those are places, uh, davidjamesrodriguez.com and um, info at thevaloracademy.com as well. Thank you. Are, they are those included in your link tree? Yes. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, guys. Awesome. We'll see you again, man. Wonderful. Much love and respect, David. Good seeing you, brother. Well, yep. You guys have a great night, and we'll see you again soon. Awesome. Hope. Thank you. Peace and love. All right, David, James Rodriguez, everybody. Give it up. So Phenomenal. Oh, Will's on the big screen. What's up, Will? I'm on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> So, David, uh, yeah, David said, I mean, everything he said right there, he, I mean, he nailed it. He nailed it. And really my, my only closing statement that I could say is that, uh, especially, and I've been kind of like focusing a lot of my, my energy in this realm with, uh, par parents that are co-parenting because like I said, this is the norm. This is the majority. And I get a lot of emails from this and, and engaging in that conversation Guess what? The person that is, you know, aware of what's going on has to initiate this conversation with the right. other parent because the other parent is stuck, very low aperture, very low awareness, doesn't really know what's going on. And they're in that, you know, that box of consciousness. So um, the the aware person needs to step up and engage that conversation and have that conversation on principles, the, the foundational um, questions like, you know, what do we do we do we want what are rights this kind of stuff when you're talking about your your children and history of the the education system so you you got to have that communication cuz if you don't um you know it's very common for parents to get in a uh, resentment feedback loop which does the child no benefit everything the parents right. do in co-parenting that that relationship between mom and dad it directly affects the child so oh, yeah. if you if you're going back and forth out of spite you know the uh, mom's got a new boyfriend so you're pissed off and you want to do whatever this all trickles down to the children we get we have to be the um we need to raise up and engage into these hard questions and conversations with the other parent because our child is worth it and absolutely we want to get them out of these these uh indoctrination camps and it's not just you know public schooling it's it's the med allopathic medical system with with the uh 
the the needle crafts and all kinds of stuff, right? The list goes on and on. This is a holistic package of awareness of what's right. going on in reality. And they work together too because you, like, you can't put your kids in the public schools without getting them shot up with a bunch of vaccines. And then after a while, what happens is that when your kid's been in public school for long enough, they can come around and give them ADHD medication and all sorts of bipolar medications. And it's like, well, where does all this stuff start? And it's they, there's this there's this term that I've been made aware of, and uh, and um and it's about medical stuff, but it's called etiology, E T I O L O G Y etiology. It's a spelling bee, folks. But anyway, um. It's about cause and effect. It, this is this is the study of cause and effect when, in the medical field, and uh, that's where it gen generally with this is where etiology takes place. It's like, how did this medical thing happen to this person, and that's the way of diagnosis. So, take that into the more physical realm. You know, people don't understand that uh, the etiology of like how does one become a psychopath. How does one, you know, turn into a statist? <laughs> and it's, you know, you can do these things and figure it out. You just take it from a causal level and you'll understand that when you put your kids in those buildings and the teachers have say over them, the the paperwork that they fill out, uh, the medical industry and the, and the uh, education industry are just very, very much uh, tied mm. together. Yeah. You know? ADD for all. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's where they got the word Adderall. That's where they, that's where they got the word Adderall. The 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 guy that owned the uh, well, one of the owners or board members or whatever of the company that create that renamed uh, Obitrol into Adderall. So Obitrol was a weight loss drug that could never get approved by the FDA because it didn't really do what the what the drug company said it would do. So they could sell it, they could still sell it, but it didn't have FDA approval, right? They, they, it, it's a weird thing, but then they renamed it and then they repurposed it. And the FDA was like, oh, great. And it does exactly what you say it's going to do. Okay, cool. And, and, it's, that, and then now the teachers are prescribing the stuff. Not necessarily. They have a very big say in it. They can, and the it really does come down to the consent of the parents. Even to, even right. today, they 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 can't force you to. They can't force the kid to you know take the pills. The parents have to be on board as well. So until the parents are on board, but the parents are trained more than not. They're trained to just appeal to authority and just let the teachers say what to do. So it's very much, it very much appears that way where the teachers are prescribing it. But no, there are three, as far as I know, there are three forms that go out, one to the teachers, one to the parents, and one to the child. And, and, it's, uh, and it's called the Sconner, the, the Sconner, the Connor Scale of Behavioral Assessment. Huh. Um, and, and it's like... Um, so it's like a it's like a it's like a list of questions and then you check them off and then there's a scoring pattern and if the scoring happens a certain way then then the dog then you bring all the forms back to the doctor and the doctor goes this is uh based on the connor scale that everyone's filled out and it's like a different one for the kid different one for the parents and different one for the teachers 
Hmm. And then the talk, the doctor takes all of them, kind of does some, you know, quick math with it, seeing the scores, puts them together. And then based on a slide, like a scale, they, uh, they can, they can assess whether or not the child has a uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And then from there, they can say whether or not they want to, uh, they want to prescribe any sort of medication to the kids or suggest a prescription of medication toward the child. And then the parents have to be the ones to <clears throat> the parents have to be the ones to sign off on all of it but here's where everything falls short the teachers are the babysitters while the parents go off to work so what happens is the parents sit there and they like just like with homework well if you don't do your homework you're ma- you're making things hard for us think back to any time that your mom or your dad had to get like a call from the principal's office and they had to show up oh i had to leave work early i can't and that's what they were mad about that's what they were mad. They weren't mad that you misbehaved in school. They were mad that the reason they were mad that you misbehaved in school is because you're making it harder for them to go and do the things that they need to do to provide for you, right? The the house, the food, the clothes, the this and the that. They got to work a job for that. And then when they're working the job for that, they're sending the kid where to the public school. Now the kid has to behave at public school because if the kid's not behaving at the public school, it makes it harder for mom and dad to go and do the job to do all the things that they've been trained to do by the public school. So when they have to leave their job and they're not mad about having to come and take you out of school, they're not mad about the misbehavior. They're mad that they left their job. Right. So they teach their kids to listen to the teachers, do what the teachers say, do your homework to please the teachers. Please, please, please do this, all this stuff for the school. The boss at the same time. Yeah. That's where the idea that the teachers are the ones prescribing this medication comes from. Okay. Because they, they have the most say. They're, um, not to mention the fact is that, that the, they call it a learning disorder. They call it. They call it a learning disorder. So where do you go to learn? You go to school to learn. Well, who's doing the teaching? The teachers. Who's when you're learning? Who's doing that to you? So when they're the ones coming forward and saying it's really tough to teach Jimmy how to how to spell correctly, or it's really tough to teach Jimmy how to how to do all of these things, and he's misbehaving in class. He's a distraction for the other students. He's the class clown. He wants to make everybody laugh. He's this. He's that. He's all these ad hominem attacks, like all these things about his character, all these things about you know the way that he behaves. We need to control him, right? And it's all because it's all under the guise of control. Right. And and uh, and that it's because they that's their job. So what do they do? They pump the they they pump the medication in there to make it easier to control. They're corrections officers. And it's the same thing like when I was talking to Jerry Marzinski, you know what I mean? Like he worked in, in mental hospitals and prisons and it was all about giving psychotropics and, you know, giving like drugs to control people. You know, and it started with making them sick with insulin, spinning them around in a chair so they puke. That way they're not doing any trouble to the people that are wards of the jail, you know, that are trying to keep, make you sit down and shut up. And if, and if, you know, you don't listen, then they're going to invade your mind with a tool like a hammer and it's going to make you listen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's no longer a hammer and chisel. With for the lobotomy now it's a it's chemical they can right. literally they can they they can literally do chemical lobotomies now right fact, peter Bre- peter Bregan is like on, was like on the war path to get them to stop doing it but they still do it they've done yeah. it to people that i love 
and then then luckily for some reason some people just have a mental fortitude that can't crack (laughs) and this person in particular yeah she's a little you know you know she's a little she's a little out there but dude she is like spot on genius level type of stuff and i i couldn't be more proud of her but dudes like it, it really what uh, like the ones that are the 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 kids that are like more prone to standing up for themselves and realizing at a very young age how illogical all of it really is and realizing from a very young age that the people that are telling them to do things don't have the right to do it right. they don't have the they don't have the vocabulary to really put it in such they don't have the the, the phraseology they don't have the words to put it in the, in that order, right. you know. But they got the feeling; their intuition is telling them this. It's screaming from inside, like this isn't right, and then, so they're gonna act out and they're gonna be like, "Oh, whatever. I'm just gonna do. I'm not hurting anybody." This is the thing. Like a lot of people at a very young age realize that right and wrong is the difference of harm and not harm. Right. They, and like children are very prone to being and like it's almost like. It's almost like God like preloads that into a lot of people. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it does. It seems like that. Like we, you know, when you have kids, like you see it, like they, one of the first times I ever saw it. And this was before, like we really, I, before I really started teaching my son uh, more about the differences between right and wrong was he was messing around. It was right after his sister was born and he thought he hurt his sister and the look on his he was like oh my god and like just like there's just i don't know it just seemed like this this very innocent and this very innocent form of of fright where he thought that he hurt somebody that didn't deserve it or his little sister and the sheer terror on his face of having and it was this look of like i don't want to be responsible for that and it's like to some to think about it like some i think that some people come preloaded with that information as if like to, they carry it back with them after the the last time they were here if if they if reincarnation happens which i'm more and more on the side of it actually does it does happen um when they come back Maybe there's some things that some people did did just they were so close to doing everything right that when they have to come back to this place, they're allowed to take a few things with them. <laughs> and some kids just seem to have this like really innocent way about them where they don't they understand it right out of the gate. And um I think that those kids are the ones that grow up to be the ones that are like rebellious in schools and that they're like rebels like the three of us where like we understand these things now because we're more inclined to understand them because maybe some something about our past lives makes it easier for us to to really live a life like that you know and you know i can uh, i can relate to you like because i didn't know the words when i was a kid and i like ended up going towards satanism you know but i hated the religion and the power structure and the authority you know i hated authority but i didn't know i didn't get it because i never got access to like what it what the truth you know my parents were status you know still they think i'm crazy you know and like somehow i survived 
the uh, the system you were able to you were able to get out of high school like i i had to go through the entire way <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like a it's like a jail sentence you know um i was barely but, there <laughs> you know good for you, man. They, they kept me back twice yeah and then on the second the, the on the second time of the second time <laughs> i repeated eighth grade twice and then i went through ninth grade once uh, I didn't pass ninth grade either, and um, then uh, then they were like, "Oh, you got to repeat the whole thing again." I was like, "I'm I'm done with this. I'm yeah, done with this. I'm done with you people. I'm out of here." My stepdad had just died, and I was going a little, I was going a little uh, off the off the rails. But I uh, I just decided, you know what? If I'm gonna become, if I'm gonna just like break all the chains, I'm gonna break them all. Right. You know, I'm gonna go out on my own. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna see what happens. And, from, yeah. and that was that you're way better off than i am <laughs> but you're i mean you got a lot more fortitude and you got a lot you know you, you're you're I, I would say that you deserve better than me you know they, they, they uh, ties me in the in the in these schools that's the thing a lot of people don't understand about me is like this is where this comes from for me personally is like i was not i was not treated well by these people and i understood that from a very very young age and I, that's how I understand. I really do understand that, like this, that it doesn't just happen. You go to middle school, and all of a sudden, there's standardized testing. It's like, no, this is from the very first day you step foot into these buildings. It's trauma, right? It, it's it's trauma, and that's why I I don't. That's why I kind of split hairs a little bit. It was like at least don't send your kids to the buildings. You got to figure it out to keep them home, keep them safe and sound there, like. That's one thing, you know, like we can, we can have arguments, we have discussion, whatever about all the rest of it. But my whole entire thing is like, really just like, don't, don't send them there. Don't send them to the buildings. Don't lock them in the cage. There's a uniformed officer. There was in my high school, you know, there's a walk in the halls. It's a prison. Yeah. It's like a, the, lock them in. Yeah, dude. You're locked in. Right. And they say it's you know, they, the, after the kids enter the building, they don't want anybody that shouldn't be there to be in the buildings too. And it's like, okay, yeah, duh, like yeah, yeah, no kidding, no one wants that. But at the same time, it's like the the, the other edge of the sword is that the kids are locked in, right? You know, so. Will, what do you think of that? Think through, people don't think it through. So. What do you think about the kids being locked in? Uh, oh yeah, that's. I mean, it, it's you could see when that started to happen, right? With all the the school shootings, and they started putting you know bars all around the school and stuff. And I mean, yeah. when I went to high school, right? Um, I mean, I'm in my 40s. We could walk off campus and right. go get food right downtown and stuff like that. I mean, you can't do that nowadays, and and in right. most schools. Um, you know, high schools and stuff like that. I, middle schools and elementary, for sure, they're going to have cages around the schools. Um, and that's mainly when it started. So, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a prison for sure. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we just got an interesting, uh, an interesting comment in the chat here that I'd like to speak about because this is also something that I, I've, I've said in the past about, <laughs> you know, uh, about people's feelings toward their kids. So, um, Shane, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but anyways, well, the, the comment is, well, it's more convenient. You'd be surprised how many people really don't care about their kids. And yeah, I think a lot of people would be very surprised. 
about that. And I think a lot of people would be even more surprised about, you know, the, <laughs> the I'm when you're not surprised. Yeah, I think black pill too. Do yeah. I think they'd be more surprised when they realize that like they, they, they don't fucking love their kids. There, I said they don't it. love themselves. Yeah, well, they don't love themselves, and they're right. taking it out on their kids. Right. And like, I've, I, I'm having like flashbacks to another conversation the three of us had like over a year ago. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've said it in the past, and I'll say it again. Like, you must have a very, very, uh, you must misunderstand what love really is if this is the type of stuff that you are willing to do to your children is to expose them to the violence and all the and to put them through all of that trauma because it exists if it happened to me then you know it can happen to just about every other kid and uh i say just about every other kid because not all kids go to public school <laughs> so it's yeah. not it ain't happening the same way to the kids that don't go but well that's the that's the thing too they unconsciously don't know that right the parents don't and a lot of this is just learned behavior they went to school their parents went to public school so they're just continuing the cycle that's you know generational mind control that's the thing and uh, right. so so what can you do to to spark um new thinking or thinking in general right where the where parents <laughs> yeah. actually consider it and and that's that's where the act of taking your kids out and and telling your friends and family i we did this and this is why has a huge effect um again you know silver lining with like the whole pandemic you know a lot of a lot of people started seeing that there's something wrong with the world there's something wrong with the system and they started you know naturally doing that uh, which is great, but still, do they still have the pieces of of why? Like, would they have done that if the pandemic didn't happen? Probably not. But uh, there's still that information that's valuable that they still need. Right. So again, this goes back to you know inspiring and educating people through our own actions. Right, and there's going to be more shocks. They're going to, you know what I mean. The the COVID thing was just a just one shock. You know, oh, yeah. and the next one is going to be in a different direction, even further emotionally engaging and more, you know, the, you know, most turbulent time of my the time of the, of the world. Oh, you know, we got to choose all the reality. And, you know, it, they put all of this weight on their shoulders and they don't even know who they are, or what they are, or what morality is, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm glad that you were here and you could share with us and, uh, I want to tell everybody that uh, that you are you highlight the morality, and that's really a fundamental key in making all the choices uh, for our children and uh, for their choices in the future. If you can, um, so like, just uh, I know that's a big part of your work. And um, where can everybody find uh, your work, please? Excellent. Guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, first and foremost, I hold you both in high respect and I, I'll come back anytime Man, having David on. What a phenomenal conversation uh, we four had. So that that was great. Uh, people can go to um, if you go to Linktree slash Will Keller, you'll get all my my sites, my social media. People can get in contact with me. Check out my presentations. Um, 
Uh, naturalfreedomleague.com is a main website of mine. I'm also on the One Great Work Network under Will Keller. And uh, yeah, it, contact me, check out my, my presentations. Um, and I'm actually getting, getting ready to release a new website that's directed to conscious parenting and teaching young children uh, you know, preteens and even in the formative years, the natural law principles, morality, self-ownership and these kind of things. But, I, you know, I simplify it to that lo- that age group, the, the lower age group. So kids can understand as parents, this is what we need to do. We need to simplify the profound, um, you know, because some kids are too young to just boom, there's a black pill right on you. They're not going to really get that right. They're not going to yeah, comprehend. My, my they don't have the. Oh. Yeah. They don't have the capacity yet, but still they right. can understand truth very well. Um, mm. We just need to get down to their level and it's important. That's right. Uh, the question that's on a lot of people's mind, Will, uh, is uh, where's the beard? <laughs> Man, that motherfucker didn't pay rent. He had to go. He had to go. No, yeah. it, it was time. You know, it was my daughter's idea from the beginning. She's like, Dad, I want to see what you look like with a big old Gandalf beard. I'm like, okay. I, I've never had my beard that long, so let's do it. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, eight, eight nine months later, she's like, Dad, it's crazy. You got to cut it. You got to cut it. I said, all right. Yeah, yeah, you were like a Gloucester fisherman for a while there. Yeah. <laughs> I was spending way too much money on coconut oil, man. So it, it had to go. <laughs> I hear that, man. Yeah, you gotta be free. Uh, man, yeah. I was just about to get that motherfucker on for an interview, and now next thing you know, he's gone. <laughs> man, he he was running, uh, you know, the last several uh, interviews I was doing, man. He, he was becoming self-aware, and uh, it, it was a conflict of interests. I'll say that, and starting to get warm. So the man scarf had to come out i, I, I missed my neck yeah. and i actually forget what i look like underneath it all like i hope i'm not all hollow cheeked and sunken like you know yeah anyway, it's anyway it's, I mean, we're so glad that you were that you joined us and we hope that all our listeners go to your site and go to see your presentations and uh we're so glad to highlight your work and we're very happy that you could add your voice to the conversation today Thanks, brothers. I appreciate you both. And, and thanks to all the listeners and the participants, man. It's been awesome. great. Great episode. Valuable. Yeah. Well, thank you, Will, so much for everything that you do, brother. And we'll see each other around the bend. Awesome. Appreciate you both. Have a yeah. good night. Likewise. This, this is definitely one for the record books. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Um, yeah. So this is uh, this. I know that now we're now it's it's we have a little bit of space where we can talk i guess if as long as uh you want to still join me I, we do have uh i've got one clip that i want to share about we're talking about free will and natural sovereignty and uh the future of what the what they want to give us is something totally different than that and i want to share with you guys uh this here Oh God. We don't have any audio. Oh, here one second. It doesn't have any audio. Yeah, we didn't we I didn't I wasn't hearing it. Hmm. Well okay, that was Yuval Noah Harari. 
and he was telling us that they can hack human beings now. There is no longer free will. He says the whole idea of a soul having free will, choosing oh, what I'm going to do, why, why I do things, all of that is gone. And now they can calculate it. They go under your skin with the, uh, of like, you know, they were surveilling you through the phone. Now they're going like with the Fitbits and they're trying to get your biological information. You know, it's, uh, and they're all, it's all going into their data pool that they can use to manipulate you. And I mean, look at what Bernays did in the past and now what they have for the future planned uh, that they think that they can make it so that people won't even have free will anymore. And uh, they molded people so far into what they do with schooling. Yeah. So this is the, this is like the tip of the spear for that. Those globalists, those, those people that are, you know, moral relativists all the way. Uh, they, uh, this, they champion this guy. And um, we, we all need to be aware that self-ownership and free will is self-evident, you know, yeah. and um, I think it just, people need to keep that in mind instead of being like, oh, it's just some queers reading books to kids. Oh, oh, you know, it's just some weird, it's not that it's like there it's, it's going gradually. And, you know, it started with, you know, the feminism and that, that whole wave of changing, you know, and like making women go to work and then the pill and then abortion. And then like, you know, now they have like mandated schooling. Um, we we talked about that before about how germany is the only one that mandates schooling uh there's a woman here that's trying to change that she did an article oh harvard i think i want to bring this up i don't know if you uh have that article still handy uh, elizabeth uh, elizabeth bartholet <laughs> um is Bar bartholet right yeah elizabeth bartholet and I will bring that. I'll, I'll get that article up real, real quick. Um, while I'm doing so, I'll just say, you know, you know what, guys, everyone out there, like the the moral of the story is, is that this is where people go. Um, this is where people go to learn how to obey authority. This is where people go to have all critical thinking just completely subtracted right out of the equation. Right. And it's called public school. Yeah. So, right. I, I mean, like, um, are we looking for the one that's a warning on homeschooling, the, the conversation piece? Or are we looking at the other one that's more of a... Uh, the uh, uh, the Harvard one that gives the overall with the picture of the kids in the jail of their house, <laughs> like the dangers of homeschooling, the Harvard article uh, about Bartholet. There were, there were two, and the second one was just a redefining of the first one. I think the second one was Forbes. I think I don't know what the first one was. Oh yeah, what For, uh, was Harvard? Yeah, the risks of Go ahead. homeschooling. Yeah, there you go. Okay, you want to share that? You want us to share that? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's got look it. At that. Bam. All right. All right. Can you zoom in? How about that? How's that? Does that look better? That's I great. think that looks great. 
right. So, <laughs> so as you can see, there's all kinds of kids having fun, not in the house. They're all, yay. And there's a kid in a cage of his house. When that's the opposite, really, like all the public school kids are in a cage from the state. But they're flipping it around saying, oh, you parents are tyrants. Look at how you're keeping your kids away from us. <laughs> you know, please. I don't know if you want to share some more of that. I'm gonna... Sure. Um, let's just this is a short article, folks. It's only a couple pages. So let's just read it out loud for the for the only the people that are only listening. So um, please. This is from the Elizabeth Bartholet website. Uh, Harvard Magazine published this article. And it's uh, your independent source for Harvard News since 1898. So, Elizabeth Bartholet, Barf, Barfolet, more like it. Am I right, folks? Anyways, a rapidly increasing number of American families are opting out of sending their kids to school, choosing instead to educate them at home. Homeschooled kids now account for roughly 3% to 4% of school-age children in the United States, a number equivalent to those attending charter schools, a larger than number than the number currently in parochial schools. Yet, Elizabeth Barfollet, uh, Wasserstein Public Interest Professor of Law and Faculty Director of the, Laws, uh, the Law School's Child Advo Advocacy Program, sees risks for children and society in homeschooling and recommends a presumptive uh, ban on the practice. Homeschooling, she says, not only violates children's rights to a, quote, meaningful education and their right to be protected from potential child abuse, but may keep them from contributing positively to a democratic society. Quote, we have an, uh, an essentially unregulated regime in the area of homeschooling, Bartholet asserts. All 50 states have laws that make education compulsory, and states' constitutions ensure a right to education. Quote, but if you look at the legal regime governing homeschooling, there are very few requirements that parents do anything. End quote. Even apparent requirements such as submitting curricula or providing evidence that teaching and learning are taking place, she says, aren't necessarily enforced. Only about a dozen states have rules about the level of education needed by parents who homeschool, she adds. Quote, that means, effectively, that people can homeschool who've never gone to school themselves, who don't read or write themselves. End quote. In another handful of states, parents are not required to register their children as homeschooled. They can simply keep their kids at home. This practice, Bartholet says, can isolate children. She argues that one benefit of sending children to school at age four or five is that the teachers are, quote, mandated reporters, required to alert authorities to evidence of child abuse or neglect. Teachers and other school personnel constitute the largest percentage of people who report to Child Protective Services, she explains, whereas not one of the 50 states requires that homeschooling parents be checked for prior reports of child abuse. Even those convicted of child abuse, she adds, could, quote, still just decide, I'm, gonna I'm going to take my kids out of school and keep them at home. As an example, she points to the memoir Educated by Tara Westover, 
the daughter of Idaho survivalists who never sent their kids to school. Although Westover learned to read, she writes that she received no formal education at home, but instead spent her teenage years working in her father's scrap business, where severe injuries were common and endured abuse by and she endured abuse by an older brother. Arthlet doesn't see the book as an isolated case of a family that slipped through the cracks. Quote, that's what can happen under the system in effect in most of the nation. In a paper published recently in the Arizona Law Review, she notes that parents choose homeschooling for an array of reasons. Some find local schools lacking or want to protect their children from bullying. Others do it to give their children the flexibility to pursue sports or other activities at a high level. But surveys of homeschoolers show that a majority of families, by estimates up to 90%, are driven by conservative Christian beliefs and seek to remove their children from mainstream culture. Bartholet notes that some of these parents are, quote, extreme religious ideologues who question science and promote female subservience and white supremacy. Children should, quote, grow up exposed to democratic values, ideas about non-discrimination, and tolerance of other people's viewpoints. She views the absence of regulations ensuring that homeschooled children receive a meaningful education equivalent to that required in public schools as a threat to U.S. democracy. Quote, from the beginning of compulsory education in this country, we have thought of the government as having some right to educate children so that they become active, productive participants in a larger society, she says. This involves a part giving children, this involves in part giving children the knowledge to eventually get jobs and support themselves. But it's also important that children grow up exposed to community values, social values, democratic values, ideas about non-discrimination, and tolerance of other people's viewpoints, she says, <laughs> noting that European countries such as Germany ban homeschooling entirely, and that countries such as France require home visits and annual tests. In the United States, Bartholet says, state legislatures uh, have been hesitant to restrict the practice because of the Homeschooling Legal Defense Association, a, cons a conservative Christian homeschool advocacy group, which she describes as small, well-organized, and overwhelmingly powerful, politi overwhelmingly powerful politically. <laughs> During the last 30 years, activists have worked to dismantle many states' homeschooling restrictions and have opposed new regulatory efforts. There's really no organized political opposition, so they basically get their way, Bartholet says. Wow. A central tenet of this lobby is that parents have absolute rights that prevent the state from intervening to try to safeguard the child's rights to education and protection. Bartholet maintains that parents should have, quote, very significant rights to raise their children with the beliefs and religious convictions that the parents hold but requiring children to attend schools outside the home for six or seven hours a day, she urges, does not unduly limit parents' influence on a child's view, views and ideas. Quote, this issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages zero to 18? I think that's dangerous, Bartholet says. I think it's also dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. 
Wait, um, uh, as a brief aside, I think it's also dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless. So teachers in charge of children. Right. And to give the powerful ones total authority. So school boards over parents. Right. Statism. Right. She's saying it's dangerous for statism, but she's saying that it's so <laughs> it's a cognitive dissonance. That's right. what I'm saying. Uh, to finish. She concedes that in some situations, homeschooling may be justified and effective. To quote her, she says, no doubt there are some parents who are motivated and capable of giving an education that's of a higher quality and as broad in scope as what's happening in the public school, she says. But Bartholet believes that if parents want permission to opt out of schools, the burden of providing that their case is justified should fall on the parents. I think an overwhelmingly majority of legislatures, legislators and, and American people, if they looked at the situation, Bartholet says, would conclude that something ought to be done. So there's a part of this that really caught my attention. I don't know if it caught yours. Um, where was it? Which part? Because there's, whoa, so many. Yeah. Basically, she's saying the state owns the kids and the parents have to lobby the state to be able to take their kids away. Like it's the state's, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of like what like, that rainbow glasses teacher does. Yeah. Um, so this is just basically the whole entire thing is just completely illogical. Yeah, it's all fallacies. Right? Yeah, it's completely illogical. It totally leaves out the the. Uh, it totally doesn't. It doesn't even include. Where where does it include any of the danger that that happens on a daily basis? I mean, it says something about bullying at one point. Yeah, here we go. Um, she notes that parents choose homeschooling for an array of reasons. Find local schools lacking or want to protect their children from bullying. Hmm. Like okay. Or wow. pedophiles, or like the indoctrination that they give, you know, like or that, want to protect yeah. them from all kinds of stuff, like or that 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 dad that, that got arrested at a school board meeting because he was given it, he was given the school board a ration of shit because they kept the fact that his daughter got raped by a tranny in the woman's bathroom a secret from them. Yeah, right. maybe that's a reason to keep your kids out of public school these days. Yeah, Loudoun County. People I couldn't. Be wrong. That up. No, that was Loudoun County. That, yeah. They covered it up because it was one of those politically correct things where they didn't want to anger the 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 aggressor. They wanted to like shame the victim. So it's it's really weird, but I mean it's psychologically messed up. It's one of the satanic things. Yeah, I mean something that I would like to impress onto people is uh, onto people. Um, and to just get the idea in their head that if you have children, like you are not the authors of your children's rights. Okay. We're not, we as parents aren't even authorities over our children. I mean, the word has been kind of bastardized and, and modern parlance of the, of the term. But I mean, when you think about it, what is an authority that the part that an authority figure is the, the one that says the do's and the do nots in any given situation. So what we're saying is, is that we're the ones that, that get to say the do's and do nots when it comes to our children. Okay. But we're not, we're not here to basically tell them what their rights are. So you're off, you're an author of somebody's rights. Okay. Like you want to teach them right from wrong, but you can't, like you, so, but you can't like uh, really 
Uh, excuse me. I got something in my throat too. It's going around. <clears throat> you can't really get in the way of them. So uh, you can't really write down laws for them. That's right. basically what I'm saying. So they're going to, we're, we're basically, they're stewards where they're overseers. Like we're, we're here to make sure that they're out of harm's way and that they're able to explore until they're of an age where they can kind of take the reins on that responsibility for themselves. Um, what I was getting at here is that like, we need to be able to like uh, really separate ourselves from the idea that we, that we, um, that we are like authority figures, but we, as parents, we as parents, we definitely, in this in in this modern like modern age, in the culture that's built around us, we have rights. We do. Uh, we have rights over our children, and no one has more rights over our children than we do. We're the only ones responsible for them. We're the only ones that can lay claim to that responsibility. And I feel for kids that are growing up in abusive households. I don't know what to say about that. Um, I just, I would, I would probably say I implore people in the surroundings of that setting to stand up and do the right thing, no matter the cost. Uh, and that because of that lack of, of response, when it comes to an abusive setting, that's why these things still, still go on. Um, that's why, and in my opinion, they, they keep going on is because no one does anything about it. No one does anything to stop it. Right. Many, many adults in the situation and, and no one stands up to defend the ones that are, that are, you know, doing, uh, doing no harm. No one stands up to defend the kids. They just, you know, they turn their back and they say, it's none of my business. No, it is your business. That's a life. That's an innocent life. It's absolutely your business. Um, and natural law, the laws of behavioral consequence, we have allowances to step in and defend those who cannot defend themselves. It's not a selfish, natural law is not selfish. It's very selfless. And you do a lot of the things that you do because you're thinking of others. Now, back to my original point, we as parents have rights. We have rights over our kids. No one has more rights over our kids than us. We are the ones that are responsible for bringing that life into the physical realm. So no one is more responsible for that than us. If anyone, anyone is ever going to sit there and tell you as a parent that you do not have that you do not have the most rights over your kids, that, that somebody has more rights over your kids than you do, get away from that person. They are wrong and run far away from that person. Get out of there. That's your first line of defense. If they won't leave you alone, I don't know what you're going to do about that. That's on, that's on you. That's in your hands. You figure it out. My advice, get the fuck away from them because they're evil. Yeah. They're evil. And they have, they, they have nefarious intentions, I promise you. So we have a clip. We have a clip that has disturbed me. And it's from, well, let's just play the clip. Shall we? Please. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have to talk about this right-wing idea of parents' rights. It's literally just fascism. As far as I can tell, parents' rights means allowing parents to control their kids, even in ways that are harmful to their kids. Obviously, as an educator, I believe strongly in the importance of parents and families and other Oh, 
I have to pause it. I have to pause it right there because I want to say what she just said about parents' rights, about even when it means harming their kids. You don't have the right to do that. So that's not a right. This is an obfuscation of right and wrong. This is this is that's what that is what this speech that this for her for her harm is a subjective thing. Harm could be you're not allowed to wear rainbow sunglasses. Oh, you're harming me. You know, like there's different levels of harm. Right. Whereas like right and wrong is what you're talking about. Right. She's conflating abuse with rights. Like she's well, maybe not conflating is not is the wrong. No one word. has the right to abuse a child. Like. She's she's associating. She's playing a, a word association game where she's where she's where she's blending rights and abuse together in the same sentence. <laughs> and parents have rights to abuse their kids. No, they don't. No one thinks that they do. No one thinks that they do. Anyone that understands objective difference between right and wrong understands that no one thinks that, that someone has the right to abuse their kids. You fucking moron. What is wrong with you people? Yeah. What, is, what is wrong with you? This is the type of sophistry that's being used by modern educators to make the general population confused and to make you think that they know better than you, and they don't. They don't. She sounds so smart. What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> Let's continue listening to this, Ken. Please, yeah, yeah. Caregivers instilling morals and discipline and principles in their kids. I see hmm. educators' role as partnering with parents and other caregivers to form a collaborative support network for every child. However, some parents and caregivers unfortunately do not support their kids the way they should. That's part of why the public school system works with social services to make sure kids are taken care of. <laughs> it's why wow. schools work to connect parents with resources to help them learn how to support their children if and when they need the help. The fact of the what? matter is parents and caregivers who reject their children's She's like encouraging the kids to use the state against their parents if they don't like what their parents say. No, Jimmy, you can't be a girl. You know, this is silly. Rah, what do you mean? And then they get the, the state in there. And then this, you know, twit with her rainbow glasses gets in and says, they're abusing him because they won't let him, you know, do whatever we say is cool now days or whatever you know next it'll be dolphin like oh, i'm a dolphin like whatever you know like, like that episode of south park where Rain exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like walking around with a fucking dorsal fin and then right. he's like oh where do you have to get where'd you get the flush for that dorsal right. fin like, i require a 2000 gallon tank for that right. bathroom and right. i'm a lawyer <laughs> and then on top of all that like this is like right out of 1984 Right. Where Winston's Winston's neighbor got ratted out by his own kids. That's right. And it's like it's like next thing you know, Winston, like the neighbor's off, and and the uh, and and the um, you know the doing the struggle sessions or doing the uh, mm -hmm. the what reworking his you know wiring upstairs to get him to be more uh, be you know be compliant. Yeah, compliant. I was about to say Mentally, right? Like to actually believe two plus two is five. Like, right. like so like this is this is very Orwellian. Very, yeah. very Orwellian. Right. I mean 
parents, I mean, I, I, I gotta say, if there's a kid being out there, if there's a kid out there and you're being abused, do what you gotta do to get that shit to stop. Right. Do, just do it. Like be in survival mode. I mean, we have that mode for a reason. Don't use the state. Cause but they're like, just going to chew you up as well. You know? Yeah. You got to get out of there. You got to figure it out. I mean, you got to use whatever's at your disposal. I mean, but like, this is like, this to me just seems, it just makes me think of the chicken and egg scenario, which is like, which one came first? Like where the ideas come from that the parents are like, I don't agree with that. And then next thing you know, they've got a whole generation of kids trained to think that words is violence. Right. And then it's like, Oh, just because your parents are like, Hey, what do you mean? I gotta call. I I gotta call you. You know, Rebecca. Now you're you're Robbie. What are you talking about? You're not Rebecca. You're like, and then it's like, wait a minute. That's abuse. It's like, no. It's it. How could it be abuse? Or if you say no, they can't take the jab. Oh, what do you mean? Like right. the same thing with the you know the the parent schedule vaccines. If you don't bring your kid to the well visits. Then you get written up as like, you don't like your kid. We're going to have to intervene because you're making it dangerous for him. So that's like, that's yeah. what I was going to ask about the thing. Like when the teachers uh, recommend pills for the kids, uh, does the state ever say, yeah, well, we're going to give it to him because he needs it. The doctor says so. So get out of here, parents. Do they ever do that? I haven't heard of, okay. I, I haven't heard of that. Okay. Um, but it, I mean, it is, it, it, it changes with the tide of what just exactly is the medication. Right. And what is the reason? I mean, they, there's a lot of nuance to that. And it's like, unfortunately the just being a parent and being like, no, isn't really good enough sometimes. Right. Yeah. So I think immediately to like, what's that dude, John Travolta. Yeah, that son there, and because his religious beliefs, regardless of what they are, he has a religious belief, and according to that religious belief, John Travolta said, "I'm not giving my son that medication." The guy, the guy's son died. You know, like I mean, so you got to understand that, like, there are some points in time where, you know, when it comes to saving a life of a child who's going to step in it should be the community and like but like but at this other time at the other side of it is like well what business is it, is it of theirs and it's just this is where a lot of people get roped back into to a statist mindset where it's like you don't need the authority of the state to do the right thing you just need to be able to step up and understand that you know natural law allows for you to step in and to, and to save the life and to do the best thing that you can do for that life. Right. People uh, relegate that responsibility to the state. They give it up. They, they say, you do it instead because I don't want to get my hands dirty. That's the problem. People don't want to get their hands dirty. They see the little boy down the street getting smacked around by their parents or maybe you're, you, know, you see whatever. And you don't do anything about it. You don't say anything. You don't, you don't call out wrongdoing when you see it in front of you. Now, the medication and everything like that, the DSM, the DSM-5 and all of its predecessors, the people that are curious about where these medications come from, 
in the disorders that the medications are for, you need to look into just who is writing the DSM. Where do these diseases or disorders come from? They come from the DSM. Who's writing that? What are their intentions? Who are funding them? And what exactly is the extent of their influence? And every single end to that is very, very disturbing. There are instances where the men and women who are writing the DSM, they're coming up with names and they're, they're, diagn- they're trying to put stuff in the books and somebody at the table will raise their hand and go, that sounds like something or that sounds like the way I think. And I don't want to have a mental illness. Right. So don't put that in there. And everyone's like, okay, okay, yep, you got it, Johnson. Don't worry about it. So it's like that. And then it's, it's right, found over, it's a consensus of, yeah. of experts. Right. It's the board. It's all like behaviors, problem. they diagnose behaviors, and it's yeah. not like actual problems. They're like, oh. The whole entire field of behaviorism in the first place comes from the fact that people have this urge to rebel against authority. <laughs> so they come up with this thing called behaviorism. Where they can say, "Oh well, how do why do people do behave the way that they behave? Why don't people do the things that we want them to do? And how can we better pit them as the enemy? And how can we make it seem like they're the fucking nutty ones? And we can get them to be the ones that are on the medication because they're the psychopaths. When it's really the people that are quote the psychopaths are or the ones that are like." the the nutty ones in your school or whatever and it's like not to say that there isn't some some deep-seated psychological you know um, problems with some people i i firmly believe that there are some people severe head injuries can cause can cause some pretty crazy things like we we don't know that's the funny thing about this is that these authority figures seem to think that they have it all figured out when the real when the real thing is is that we still don't know the real workings of the human brain So how can a group of people come together and say, well, we're going to do things that are going to, that's going to stunt the growth of the human brain. And we don't even know what we're doing, especially with like, again, with Adderall ADHD medications in general, they don't know which area of the brain the medication's going to. There's a doctor out there. I forget his name. I featured him in my presentation, but he basically said, we're carpet bombing the brain. It's affecting every part of the brain. We can't get it to affect one part of the brain, and we don't even know. Uh, we don't even know why it's doing this. You know, like like so, not the medication, the brain. They believe it's something to do with the the endocrine system. They believe that it's something that, but it's all tied to belief. But really, it's not. It's not anything. It's it's somebody's because you know, there is no test. They can't test for how much. There is like, oh, the idea of like a chemical imbalance. There is no test of chemical imbalance, all that. How can they test for something on a personal level when everybody's different? It's the same thing with the COVID stuff. It's the same thing with a bunch of the other uh, other things that they try to do to kids in public school systems is that a broad brush, one stroke across every fucking kid in the situation, and it's going to be one size fits all for everybody. And maybe, just maybe, there's a glimmer of hope that it's not exactly like that today. But I guarantee you that's how it was for people like myself, Sean, everybody that was on this podcast tonight, everyone that's been in our generations and in the past, it's always been one broad brush stroke to cover everybody, one size fits all, outcomes-based education. And that's what that, that is. There are remnants of that today, or it's still full-fledged that thing today. 
you don't just get rid of that type of education system. So what, what are they doing? Uh, with, so, I mean, that's where we got to be at folks. We want to understand what we're up against. We have to actually do the work to look into some of these things. And maybe you're not the person that's going to be the best at reciting all of the stuff and naming names and doing this. And that. But if you can get the gist of it, if you can say to yourself, okay, I understand the big picture here that yes, there's enough evidence there to really bolster this, th this knowledge that there is a concerted effort against freedom that they're trying to control people and that it's all about control that's what everything that they do is it's all that and then make be be a smart person make con make concessions along the way and realize that there are some applications for some of this stuff when it comes to at least medication all right <laughs> like it or not but whether or not the medications that are being used mainstream are exactly what should be, or that's exactly the answer. I love those arguments. So like we have many, many holistic medications. We have many, many medications that grow right from the ground. Then there's also ideas of exercise. There's also ideas of diet. There's also ideas of like, of, of, environmental problems uh, not saying pollution i'm saying how it, are your daily interactions with people are you involuntary consensual relationships with people how is your mind reacting to those relationships how is your mind reacting to the the color of the paint on your walls like there's so many levels to mental health that are being ignored and people wonder why things just keep getting worse and we're we're not like so the solution and the cure for a lot of these things is right there in front of us it's staring us in the face and it's the same people that are selling us the thing that's saying oh this is the medication here's the solution and the real solution is to do the, almost the exact opposite of everything that those people are telling you to do usually the best and it's like the people that are sitting here and i know i'm sitting here going hey listen to me i know some answers because i do and i'm not here to hurt anybody i'm here to help and i want the people to feel i want people to feel loved and i want people to self-actualize come to their fullest potential and to be able to stand firm on their own two feet and say fuck you to those who are trying to control you fuck you to those people that are out there trying to destroy your life and fuck you for trying to kill me on a daily basis and fuck <laughs> you for coming after my fucking kids too if you yeah. you will never fucking see a bigger a bigger set of teeth come out yeah. than when you try to come after my kids i'll tell you that right now so this is the way we get, we form solutions is you gain the knowledge you gather around the information, get it under your belt and at least get in enough to really understand that these people are not here for, for you. They're here because you are a product to them. Right. You are, you are income. You are some way of, of energy. Right. They're seeing you as a battery. It's like the matrix. All the people are plugged in to the to the big stack and the machines are getting the energy out of the people in in exchange the people the they the yeah the people get to live in this fantasy world right and meanwhile in the real world 
they're just a battery to power the machines. Yeah. And that's what they want you to be. And the machines are the satanic heartless people <laughs> that are running this thing, you know? Um, uh, I, I kind of like, I, I, I don't, I, I wanted to make sure that we uh, got all the points in before we, like, I know that we had a two like wonderful clips from John Taylor Gatto. Yeah. And I wanted to, uh, for it was a, it's a gift for those listeners that are still listening and want to continue. Uh, it's going to make the episode kind of long, but uh, I just wanted to say our goodbyes before. And um, unless there's anything else, James, that you wanted to talk about before, because uh, I think that we had a really a, knocked it out of the park with this. I think David was so precise with his words. It was so perfect to hear him talk. Like, I'm so glad that we got it recorded here. Uh, and, uh, you know, tell me, is there anything that that's still urging inside that you need to speak out or anything, you know? Um, uh, yeah, I, I really just want to, I really just want to implore people that if, if, if this seems out of the realm of possibility for you, I understand. And I'm not here to push my lifestyle or how I want things done onto anybody. I'm simply here to define right from wrong and to point out when wrongdoing is happening. You understand? So I can't make you do anything. I just hope you hear my words and you hear and you hear my heart. When I tell you that these people are not doing right by your kids, these people, they're not, their intention is not to do right by your kids. That is, that is a clever disguise. Okay. Their real intention is to make more slaves. Their real intention is to perform mind control on those that least expect it to be done to them. Okay. And that's kids. That's children. So you need to figure it out. If you're a parent, you need to figure out the best way to combat this given your current situation. Knowing the truth will set you free. And to perform according to the truth is when you actually are free. So you can be set free by knowing the thing, but you're not going to be free for very long until you start acting the thing. So get it together, figure it out. Everyone's different. You got your own, you, you guys out there have your own situations going on. I respect that. Um, if you can't, well, then what's stopping you? What can you rearrange in your life to make it so your kids aren't victim to abuse on a, on a daily basis. These are very hard questions for people to ask, uh, ask themselves. And it's an even harder question to even answer. Okay. You, step one, ask the question. Step two, you actually have to come up with an answer. It, so take your time and figure it out because it's very important that you do. And my best advice is that if you're having children, 
you need to understand that the level of sacrifice required in this day and age to actually have good people being raised that could be a whole entire other four-hour podcast in itself talking about the amount of sacrifice that needs to come down but what i'm telling you is that you as the parent are responsible for the shaping and molding of that person and they will be an individual they will be an individual who's part of a larger group that they never asked to be in so you need to understand that part as well and don't put them in there in the first place mold your entire life around that human being your life is now your life is now theirs okay you and you're going to live for them that's the idea so you surround yourself with all these nice things and all this accoutrement to life none of it fucking matters what matters is the safety of that little person until they're old enough and big enough to provide that safety for themselves Notice how carefully I said that. They provide that for themselves. We provide that for ourselves. We do not ask the state to provide our, us with safety. Okay? I take care of that myself. All right? I perform right action. And through that right action, I gain trust. And there you go. Voluntary relationships happen. And next thing you know, other people are willing to help me get what I need, and I'm just as willing to help them get what they need. This is how life should be, but for some reason, oh wait, it's not just some reason, it's because you keep sending your kids to fucking public school that this idea of statism keeps going on. Because government's a religion, a religion called statism, and the public schools are the churches, and that's where they go to learn about it all. So, get it out of your head, folks. Do what you gotta do. Make some sacrifices in your life if you have to. Sean mentioned earlier tonight about the job that I do. I pee in a cup. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that, dude. Oh, it's about it's about, but it's it's the truth. But it's because I sacrifice a little bit of my own shit because of the things that I fucking know, and I can't I can't do anything else. I know, you know, and like I could, but slavery. It's I mean, tough. It's it's tough. It's yeah. tough, but it affords us the ability to have my kids at home. Right. And I'll do anything to do that. And then the next generation, it might change. Right. Hyacinth Voison said, Blessed are those who plant seeds for trees under whose shade they will not sit. And that's my mindset. And that might be the mindset for other people to attach themselves to as well. And um, with that, uh, Here, I, 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 I think that that's, uh, I think that's, what, what, what do you got? I didn't, I just wanted to say, uh, that there, you know, people helping each other really has affected me too. Um, I, my family is struggling right now. I'm currently between jobs and, um, some people I, like I, I asked on my show and some people were gracious enough to show me their generosity. And I wanted to say a very special thank you to Sheila F, Travis N, Andrew B, and Rohan A. Thank you. And you have very much helped. And this helps groceries and the electric bill and like the really the important things. And I very much thank you very much. And 
hopefully I should have a job soon. I should be starting soon. And uh, thank you all for helping. I just wanted to say. Yeah. Thank you for everyone out there who helped Sean, you know, that's, that's awesome. You know, I, uh, I didn't expect, I was surprised. I was very much surprised and I'm very thankful for what it's for whatever my word is worth. I've, I've known Sean here for about 20 years now. And, and if there was ever a soul, a person who asks for help when they actually need it and not just because they're being lazy, it's, it's Sean, you know, <laughs> So your 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 help does not go un un uh, unappreciated. I, yeah, I can sure. I can definitely get his back on that. So thank you, and thanks for letting me say it on this show. I haven't had my show because I'm in between jobs, and you know yeah. my show has been kind of sparse lately, but it's picking up again. I'm, I'm nice. going, you know, uh, things are a little uncertain. What is my schedule? When can I talk? You know, like everything, but. It, I think there's a, there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're moving through it. We just got to survive the in between period. Yeah. And um, I thank every, I thank you people very much, especially uh, well the the names the I just yeah. thank you again. And uh, yes, we did have um, if you wanted to move on to the next portion, James. Uh, yeah, that's that. It's actually perfect timing because then we'll come we'll we'll come in just under four hours, I guess, but. I'm uh I I've already seen these clips so we'll start playing them and I'm just going to step off. What do you like how do you want to Yeah. Well, I would like that. Um we can I'll just shut my my camera and we can make sure it's running. We'll come back and turn off the stream. But uh maybe put to the uh the shorter one where it's beyond schooling clip, the one that you made. Yeah. And then the longer one which uh I uh I guess I didn't upload. It didn't upload because it's too long or it's too could you, big. Could you uh, could you screen share? I could. Yeah. 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 I could do that as long as the uh, as the audio shares. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I like uh, maybe I can upload it. Maybe while the first one is playing, I can um, handbrake and try to upload. But uh, you know. Otherwise, I can put it on at the end. I can post production, uh, but we can work on it while uh, while it's playing, while the first one's playing, and uh, and then afterwards we can just go straight into the the ending uh, video, and then end the stream. Uh, and so, thank you all, people that have listened this long. It's been a phenomenal show. I'm very proud of this one. And I'm very glad that we have listeners that are listening because that's, I mean, it's a, it's a connection to others, you know, our minds to yours. And I hope that you spread your mind to others too. And I hope this message, this truth, uh, frequency, everybody gets on board and starts singing along the same song of freedom. And, yeah. uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Sean. So this has been Black Belt Digest number four. Um, and we go live. Uh, I go live every Saturday night um, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, having said that, I might be taking the next couple weeks off, but that's okay because I, I just, you know, after these long ones, 
you know, I like to take a couple weekends off, but 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is the time that you want to be coming over to freeyourmindne.com forward slash live to be checking out to see if I'm doing my own show or if Sean and I are doing another Black Pill Digest. We've been doing Black Pill Digest for four months now. Uh, it's a once a month show. We try to do it on the last Saturday of every month. Um, but this is March now and we didn't do one in February. So we're going to be doing two in March. Uh, we made, we made a, a, we made a schedule change so we could host David tonight. And in about two weeks, we're going to be doing another one where we're probably going to be talking about, uh, the control of perception through the media. So it's going to be, that's going to be an exciting show. We're not going to announce our guests at the moment because we want you guys to be paying attention on your own and we want you to come back and be surprised with who we come, we come with it with. So, um, check back. When was it, Sean? We had the 22 weeks. It's, uh, it'll be on the 25th or the the 18th. Anyways, it's the 18th. It's okay. The one we've got one scheduled for the 18th. All right, excellent. So we'll we'll be back here, Black Pill Digest, March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at freeyourmindne.com forward slash live. That's the best place to go and chat because uh, you know we see a lot of people in this chat. We see a lot of people on the sidebar here. We've got this online software called Restream and. Uh, Sometimes we see we see people kind of looking like they're talking to themselves. So I want to see if I can funnel everybody into one chat, into the Twitch chat, because here's another sad announcement is that um, in a couple months, we might not be using Restream anymore. We might only be on Twitch. We might only be using free, uh, uh, be able to be on Twitch and on freeyourmindne.com and the One Great Work Network, which um, we're always happy to be hosted on the One Great Work Network. So um, my last words, my name is James Cordner. My regular show is A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. And uh, of course, uh, it's always a pleasure hanging out with my friend Sean here, you know, my fucking, my brother, my older brother. <laughs> so like I've always... I've always admired you greatly, buddy. And thank you so much for, for having a, having this show and having me be such a great part of it. I really appreciate it, my dude. I'm so thankful that you're here, man. It's great. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to John Taylor Gatto. And he's going to teach us about the, uh, he's going to teach us a thing or two about the, the public school system. So thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in. God bless you and good night. The plan, simplified mightily for the purposes of this talk, called for the infantilization of North America, the gradual dumbing down, the gradual demoralization, the slow, steady removal of critical responsibilities from families and their transfer to bureaucrats. What I'm talking about here is a radical extension of childhood, principally through schooling at first, but in time through every institution, including and especially popular entertainment under direction of a small elite. 
popular entertainment, of course, removes the necessity to entertain oneself. But once again, we need to reiterate that childishness is not an objectionable quality to management, but rather its very justification for being. Childish people are unable to offer effective resistance to management. They may whine, complain, even shoot one another, but they have no idea how things work. So eventually they come to heal or break. Childish people, for all the noise they can make, are nearly helpless. They fall back in line because they have no other choice. They lack the inner resources to be self-sustaining. Through the second half of the 19th century, beginning in the North German states of Prussia, Saxony, and Hanover, a science of making young people childish grew up. It was studied by certain prominent Americans like Horace Mann, William Torrey Harris, the Peabody family, J.P. Morgan in Canada by Edgerton Ryerson, and by others who envied the control it offered to management and wanted that control for themselves. With the rise of the centralized corporate economy a quarter century after the Civil War, another overriding reason to place the population under tight management arose. But before I tell you about that one, which is big time, we need to get a few red herrings out of the way. At the same time this project was going, other groups, other groups besides businessmen and political leaders, had reasons to advocate against intellectual education and education in personal competence. Utopian socialists like Robert Owen and John Ruskin thought that through an endless childhood, an agrarian utopia could be achieved. The evolutionary crowd like Darwin, Galton, and Herbert Spencer thought that most of us were biologically retarded and couldn't grow up, so we had to be cared for. It would only make trouble to allow people to try to grow up. Scientific historians like Hegel or Herder and Marx thought that by keeping people dumb and incomplete, history itself could finally be controlled by small elites and guided to a conclusion. There were others too, but we don't need to review them all here. I, I wanted you to know that there were plenty of potent interests around that wanted the public childish, but none of them had any resources. None of them had the resources of corporations to sustain a campaign in that direction. For a long time, it only required a little corporate financing done behind the scenes to allow an army of innocent academic and philosophical screwballs to do the corporate government bidding unknowingly, thinking they were riding their own hobby horses. I personally was put on the trail of radically extended childhood paid for by business uh, by reading the works of a man named Elwood Cumberley, who was a friend of Dr. Conan at Harvard. And he was Alexander Inglis's partner at Houghton Mifflin, the publisher 
where he edited the elementary school series of textbooks while Inglis managed the secondary series. Houghton Mifflin, if I pronounce that correctly, and if I don't, my apologies to the Houghton and Mifflin family, they had a monopoly on books about institutional schooling. If you wanted to read about supervision or financing or classroom technique, you bought a book from the Houghton Mifflin series for several decades, the key decades, when the institution was brand new. Coverly was also dean of teacher education at Stanford University. And while there, he became head of a thing called the Education Trust, a shadowy cabal of academics nationwide who controlled every major administrative post in America by 1918. Once again, my source of this information is no conspiracy book. It's the very conservative graduate education school textbook called Managers of Virtue by David Tyack, T-Y-A-C-K, a well-respected volume that's been in print for years. All the administrative jobs in North America were under the control of a group that called itself the Education Trust until the newspapers got wind of it, and then they submarined into a new... Uh, in 1906, Coverley had written in his Ph.D. thesis at Columbia Teachers College that in the new school's coming, this is a direct quote, children are to be shaped and fashioned like nails, and the specifications will come from business and government in that order. If you're skeptical, and I encourage skepticism, I guess the librarian at this university can borrow Coverley's Ph.D. thesis fairly easily so that you can read these words for yourself. Specifications, of course, the word is a term for outcomes desired. And how those outcomes were to be reached was up to academics and bureaucrats who worked for the policy people. It's a strategy that in business is known as management by objectives. You say, I want you to be in this place at this time. I don't care how you get there. A few years later, in 1919, the same Elwood Coverley was writing that childhood had been deliberately extended by four years because a combination of powerful interests had demanded this. The trick was pulled off by denying children association with the adult world and with real responsibility through comprehensive confinement schooling, which created a world of children separate from the real world. There, the little human resources could be held until summoned or not summoned. It isn't very hard to see that the interests served most directly by delaying personal sovereignty is something we can fairly call the managerial outlook. Total management and human independence are mutually contradictory terms. Once professionalized, management finds it irresistible to argue that neither children nor their parents can be trusted, that the only sensible way to handle growing up 
is through expert goal setting and professional interventions at public expense. What I've tried to do here in my crude way is to show you that once the institutional infrastructure is established, nobody has to know what it's about. They have to know that they don't get their paycheck unless they keep the system in a steady state. So that eventually, all the architects who know what's going on could die off and the thing becomes a piece of autonomous social technology. It's time we all faced the fact that expert management is never well served by allowing children to grow up or to grow whole. Its tutelage is only justified intellectually by the academic disciplines of psychology and sociology and anthropology and evolutionary biology, even military science, each contending in its own way that growing up is impossible for most of us. All of these disciplines grew from corporate or government underwriting, regardless of how many famous leftists are associated with these particular movements. They were all paid for by corporations or government. Why? The philosophical momentum of managerialism in the West was, was in my opinion, only balked by the theology of Christianity, which expressly forbids the faithful to duck personal responsibility. And it establishes the road to salvation as a lonely personal road. You can get some assistance from being part of a congregation, but when you stand face to face with your maker, according to this theology, there are no excuses. You are fully responsible. Thus, Western religious thinking itself became a prime target of schooling, as from a pedagogical perspective, it was implacably contrarian, so it had to be systematically destroyed. Somewhat over a hundred years ago, higher academic voices in America set up a litany which communicated that however elliptical we would remain children forever, always in need of supervision and regulation. The identical message that Prussians had heard a century and more before. One recent piece of evidence that our leaders listened to the voices came to me from a press conference held by Vice President Gore's wife just a couple days before the election of 2000. In that press conference, Tipper Gore declared that 55% of the American people are mentally disturbed and in need of therapy. But Mrs. Gore isn't the only one saying that. She's one of a host of commentators that urge daily that we be kept under closer and closer surveillance for our own good, of course. When speaking to this question of general irresponsibility, observe how convenient and useful it is if classrooms are workshops of rudeness rowdiness and danger. Far from being something to avoid, it's something to welcome because how better can you instruct 
the onrushing generations, that they can't trust one another and instruct their parents not to stand in the way of official ministration because look how dangerous these children are. At the end of the 20th century, approximately 100,000 American school children were being barcoded in an experiment to track their passages and see to it that each boy and girl is always where someone else thinks they belong, everything in its place, a place for everything. The profound change in the American bargain with its young, the change that dumbing them down and demoralizing them brought about, was not the result of popular demand, nor was it caused by prominent socialists like John Dewey, who were often blamed. The transformation was an undertaking, plain and simple, of industrial titans like Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Vincent Astor, Commodore Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, Henry Ford, and a few others. And if you find your skepticism rising at that statement, I suggest you ask the librarian to secure for you the two American congressional investigations of what's behind schooling. One was made in 1915. It's the Walsh Committee report. The other one in 1953, uh, is a senator from Tennessee. Sorry, the, the name eludes me. But both of these congressional reports, which are quite extensive, came to the same conclusion that schooling is under the direction of the private corporate foundations of this handful of men I just measured. And long after their death, that oversight continues. Just watch, if you're in the education school, how often you see a reference to one or another of the Carnegie endowments, the Ford endowments, or the Rockefeller endowments. Isn't that wonderfully generous of them. But remember, these policy people were only interested in outcomes. They left the details to underlings like Henry Kissinger or Zbigniew Brzezinski. And what is that work? One way to understand it is to see, see it as a systematic recreation of the class-based, expert-driven managerial society of Anglican Britain, only this time based in supposedly objective scientific principles. You know, all those bell curves that justify locking all those children away for their own good. But why would an economic leadership co committed to Adam Smith's capitalistic principles veer in this decidedly socialistic direction. Fortunately, these men talk about it in their own essays, memoirs, letters, and occasional writings. Carnegie and Rockefeller, for instance, both despised competition because they thought it was irrational. As purely rational thinkers, they worked with might and main to stamp it out and to replace it with a planetary form of government which would resemble the British Empire and its Anglican corporate theology, only it would be better. 
because more efficient. By the last quarter of the 19th century, the promise of unlimited energy, you know, coal and oil, which really hardly had existed before then, coupled with mass production machinery, suggested that an industrial utopia was actually within reach, but only if society could be made susceptible to a degree of management beyond any historical precedent. Personal liberty and conventional morality would have to be surrendered if this promise were to be realized. Indeed, as I told you earlier, even the law of supply and demand would be forced to yield. But how to get rid of the libertarian American past? Put yourself in the position of these visionary industrialists struggling to socialize the majority into dependence on central management. If you need a crude illustration of dependence on central management, it's you raising your hand to go to the toilet. The authority of the political state had to replace the authority of family, tradition, and religion. It was a huge task. It was nowhere else to start but with the children. So drawing on the method pioneered in Prussia, the quick arrival of young Americans at responsible maturity had to be ended. Financial capital demanded this. Now this is sort of a tricky point, so I'll try to slow down my pell-mell delivery here. Financial capital demanded this. Why would anyone make huge investments in mass production machinery, machinery that was certain to obsolete itself in a couple of years, unless the markets could be guaranteed. Unless this could be done, capital would not be forthcoming and we would have an entirely different sort of economy than the one we have. That sounds like a titanic task, but assuring markets is an old game. Britain had been doing it for centuries. Competition can be muted a lot of ways, through trust formation, through government regulation, through government subsidies that stack the market deck, and in many ways unknown to the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker. But not so easy was convincing our uniquely productive population to give up its traditional yearning for independent livelihoods. The majority had to be retrained to think of itself as employees and as consumers instead of producers. A job is what someone else gives you. Otherwise, the perils of overproduction would frighten away the investment that centralized industrial growth depends upon. And so, mass schooling of a compulsory nature was given its teeth between 1905 and 1915, I believe a little bit earlier than that, in Canada, because Canada was often used as the testing ground for these ideas. We'd see how much resistance, uh, uh, I believe it's Bruce Cooper's uh, The Making of the Educational State, written by a Canadian about the Canadian experience that will tell you how vigorously can Canadians resisted this and how the army was called out frequently to shove it down their throats. I guess that's much different than the usual story you hear that a grateful populace 
welcomed these people like maybe like the Americans marching into Paris after World War II. I don't think that happened. And so mass schooling of a compulsory nature was given its teeth. No longer was it charged with fashioning good people or good citizens. Now it was directed, exactly as it had been in northern Germany, to the inculcation of habits, fears, appetites, and attitudes useful to management. That's all you need to know to understand what standardized testing is. That is all you need to know. It measures nothing else. Keep in mind that this scheme was never intended to be destructive, just the reverse. By converting Americans into specialized economic and social functions, into incompletely human human beings, this nation, the United States, but Canada also, eventually achieved the most reliable domestic market in the world. The human mutilations of schooling are a trade-off for this prosperity. Comfort and security are achieved at the price of personal sovereignty. That's what makes extended childhood a paradox. Give it up and the society would enter a zone of great turbulence, the resolution of which nobody can predict. Once you see its logic, the mechanisms of forced schooling are fairly simple to avoid and now, in my strange Pittsburgh manner, I'll get to something positive here, because by knowing and seeing clearly this negative foundation, you can, in fact, contradict it point by point. Once you see the logic, it's fairly simple to avoid. Well-schooled people are trained to reflexively obey strangers' commands and to continually seek the judgment of strangers. That's how A's are distributed. Later on, after the school game is over, advertising and advocacy journalism paid for by advertisers slips easily into the role of school teacher. Well-schooled people have a low threshold of boredom. They need constant novelty to feel alive with only the flimsiest inner life, they must stay in touch with official voices through television, radio, internet, cell phone, commercial music, and other commercial entertainments, pop journalism, and shallow friendships exchanged on a regular basis. One thing I would always tell young people would ask me, how do you avoid some marrying some turkey I said, well, one of the things you can do is find out who the person's friends are. And he this is hardly very profound advice. And if all their friends are new and yet they're 25 years old, you might wonder how they've passed through all the earlier phases of friends and not carried any of them with you. Changing classes at short intervals is a drill to prepare kids for changing associates, domiciles, mates, and possessions in dizzying and eternal profusion. A climate of low-level dissatisfaction is the very air that a mass production economy must breathe. I mean, God forbid that any of you would fall in love 
with a pair of shoes like my father did and wear them for 25 years. You're meant to be bored instantly with what you buy or very shortly afterward or terrified into thinking that that computer that you struggled for a year to set up in your on your desk is now hopelessly out of date and will do more harm for you. So hurry and work more and buy another one which will be replaced reliably in the next six months to a year. Uh, Well-schooled people must be poorly trained in history, philosophy, economics, literature, poetry, music, art, theology, in anything known through history to develop a personal inner life. Well-schooled people need lifelong tutelage, cradle-to-grave schooling to make any sense of their days. Mass entertainment and mass journalism provide that tutelage long after school is done. Over a century ago, great industrialists, with the help of academics and politicians, set out to rewrite the laws of supply and demand. They knew that if centralized producers learned to create demand for whatever could be produced most efficiently, the moral world could be turned upside down and those dogs at the top could bark there forever. The problem of succession, which doomed Rome and every other empire in human history to date, would finally have found its solution. Thus, schoolrooms became laboratories of experimentation on young minds, research centers of scientific management. To be quit of this school nightmare demands first that we wake up to what our schools have evolved into. They are servants of corporate business and big government management. If you seek a change in schooling, you're going to first have to repudiate that fatal belief you have that if only government could be given more control or only business, then all would sort itself out. In the United States, Mr. Nader was right. Both political parties work to exactly the same ends. There will be no relief from that quarter from leapfrogging political parties. Another repudiation you're going to have to make is that you must begin to regard modern North America as neither a democracy or a republic. It is clearly an empire careening out of control, bent on projecting its own domestic controls to the entire planet. Now, what to do about this personally? Learn to be a saboteur of this thing. Throw sand in the gears of the machine wherever you can. There is no way to reform it. It does exactly what it was designed to do. Recognize the paradox of extended childhood, the blessings that it brings to managers while it curses your children, the prosperity it invests the economy with by converting spirits destined for independence into whining, greedy, bored children who define themselves by what they consume. That prize is too contemptible to be worth the cost when you next find yourself appalled by the infantile and irresponsible behavior 
you see all around you. Think of school as its forge and try to do something personally about it. Mass schooling of the young by force is a creation of the four great coal powers of the 19th century, Germany, England, France, and the United States. Its final conception, structure, and later development arises from the logic that fossil fuel used in conjunction with machinery imposes on society. This reality is masked by an earlier anticipation of mass schooling in certain utopian and religious writings about social order and human nature. But make no mistake, in the Western world there was never any such animal as mass schooling until coal came along paired with machinery. You shouldn't be fooled any more than Charles Francis Adams was when he observed in 1880 that what was being fashioned for children, unfortunate enough to be caught in the proposed school net, which hadn't happened up to then, combined the characteristics of the cotton mill, said Adams, and the railroad with those of a state prison. After the Civil War, certain utopian speculations about isolating children in compounds and subjecting them to deliberate molding, molding routines began to be discussed seriously by the policy-making managers of business, government, and university life. These discussions were inspired by the potential for centralized mass production made possible by coal-driven machinery. Railroad development that was also dependent on coal and startling new inventions like the telegraph. The principal motivation for this revolution in family and community life wasn't only greed for money, although that was there, but also the philosophical conviction which approached a religion in its intensity that early indoctrination would lead to an orderly scientific society led by the best people unhampered by the democratic tradition or American libertarian attitudes. Forced schooling was the prescription to make the bulk of the population alike dependent on remote authority, not local authority, for allocation to one or another station in the economy. No more Ben Franklins, no more Tom Edisons were going to be allowed. Individuals would be prevented from taking up their lives until an advanced age. From the start, there was a purpose behind schooling, which had nothing to do with what parents, kids, or communities wanted, but concentrated on what a highly centralized economy and a strong political state was thought to need. What that was can be seen from this excerpt from a speech Woodrow Wilson made to businessmen in 1914. I'm quoting Wilson without changing a word. We want one class of persons to have a liberal education. And we want another class, a very, very much larger class of necessity, to forego the privilege 
of a liberal education and fit themselves to perform specific difficult manual tasks. By 1917, the major administrative jobs across America in schooling were under the control of a group of interests referred to in the press as the Education Trust. At the first meeting of the Education Trust, the attendees included representatives of Rockefeller, Carnegie, Harvard, Stanford, the University of Chicago, and the National Education Association. The chief end of the new education, wrote Benjamin Kidd in 1918, was to, I'm quoting, impose on the young the ideal of subordination. The primary target of the first 30 years of forced schooling was the tradition of independent livelihoods in America. Students were to learn to think of themselves as employees competing with one another for the favor of the boss, not as entrepreneurs like Ben Franklin competing to serve the public. It was believed that only in this way could the menace of overproduction in America be contained. In 1919, Arthur Calhoun's Social History of the Family informed the nation that the child was passing from the family, I'm quoting now, into the custody of community experts. And he offered a significant prophecy that we could expect in time to see a system of public education, quote, designed to check the mating of the unfit. In 1922, Mayor Hyland of New York City, alluding specifically to actions in schools of the Rockefeller Foundation and other corporate interests, said in a public speech that the schools had been seized as an octopus would seize its prey by, quote, an invisible government. You'll find that reference in Diane Ravitch's book, the Great School Wars. Be good now, later. The, 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 the 1920s were a boom period for forced schooling as well as for the stock market. A book called A Sociological Philosophy of Education, published in 1928, claimed it is the business of teachers to run not merely the school but the world. In 1929, the famous creator of educational psychology, Edward Thorndike of Columbia Teachers College, announced, I'm quoting, academic subjects are of little value. His colleague at Teachers College, William Kirkpatrick, boasted in his book, Education and the Social Crisis, that the whole traditional system of rearing the young was being made over by experts. Meanwhile, in the project offices of an important employer of those experts, the Rockefeller Foundation, executives were hearing from its president, Max Mason, on April the 11th, 1933. Don't say that I'm not giving you very specific references that can't be checked. That a comprehensive program was underway to rationalize social control and the control of human behavior. Inspired by the genetic work of an Eastern European scientist, 
Herman Muller at the University of Texas, Rockefeller, Carnegie, and other large private foundations had been investing heavily in genetics. Muller had used x-rays to override genetic law, inducing mutations in fruit flies. And that set off a line of thinking that it might be possible to create life and shape it as you wanted to. Muller preached that planned breeding was necessary to bring mankind progress, and his proposal received enthusiastic endorsement from most of the greatest scientists of the day. He reduced it to a 1,500-word geneticist manifesto and 22 distinguished American and British biologists signed it. The conscious guidance by the state of human sexual selection is called for, said Muller. What was wanted, he said, was a project of racial hygiene such as the policymakers in Germany were pioneering, a program where eugenics was state policy and where scientific research shaped society. A February 1934 progress report from the Rockefeller endowments asked the question, can we develop so sound and extensive a genetics that we can hope to breed in the future superior men. Just a few months before this report appeared, the executive director of the National Education Association announced that his organization expected, I'm quoting directly now, to accomplish by education what dictators in Europe are seeking to do by compulsion and force. You can't get it much clearer than that, can you? Between 1967 and 1974, teacher training all over the United States was covertly revamped through the coordinated efforts of a small number of private foundations, think tanks, global corporations, universities, and several other interests working through the United States Office of Education and through key state ed departments like those in California or New York. The most important documents in this transformation were three, and I'm going to name them for you. Bloom's Taxonomy of Educational Objectives was the first. An extensive government exercise in futurology called Designing Education for the Future was the second and the Behavioral Teacher Education Project was the third. That was an enormous manual of over 1,000 pages, which in time impacted on every school in the United States. While other documents exist, these are the most important representatives of the whole. They'll serve to make clear to you what project is underway. And I'll take them one by one. Designing education produced by the Federal Education Department, redefined education after the Prussian fashion as, quote, a means to achieve important economic and social goals of a national character. State education agencies would henceforth act as on-site federal enforcers 
ensuring compliance of local schools with Washington directives. It proclaimed that each state education department, quote, must be an agent of change. State departments were, quote, to lose their identity as well as their authority in order to form a partnership with the federal government. Now, I think you and I both are aware that what we're talking about here is a form of treason. There is no mention whatsoever in any of the founding documents of this country of federal involvement in education. That's not just an academic thing. It was deliberately kept away from the central political power because of the obvious chance to pervert it if it were handed to the power that controlled the army. The second document, the gigantic behavioral teacher education project, outlined the teaching reforms to be forced on America after 1967. The document sets out clearly the intention of its creators, nothing less, I'm quoting from the document now, than the impersonal manipulation through schooling of a future America in which few will be able to maintain control over their opinions. An America in which each individual receives at birth a multipurpose identification number which enables employers and other controllers, that's a direct quote from the document, to keep track of underlings and to expose them to direct or subliminal influence when necessary. Readers learned that chemical experimentation on minors would be normal procedure in the post-1967 world. That is surely a pointed foreshadowing of the massive Ritalin interventions which accompany the practice of forced schooling at present. The teacher education project identified the future as one, I'm quoting again, in which a small elite will control all important matters, one in which participatory democracy will largely disappear. Children will be made to see through school experience that their classmates, this is a very subtle point, so I'll start that again. Children will be made to see through school experience that their classmates are so irresponsible and inadequate that they must be controlled and regulated for society's good. According to the project, postmodern schooling will focus, this is a direct quote, on pleasure cultivation and other attitudes and skills compatible with a non-work world. Notice how the tremendous rise in school violence and general school chaos in the late 1960s can be seen as providing a reasonable justification for the sharp constriction of traditional intellectual schooling. Each outburst of childish disorder echoing through the press was like an advertisement promoting the need to surrender community control to the management of experts and for the introduction of emergency measures like special education and Ritalin. It makes sense, though, doesn't it, that irresponsible, semi-literate children kept in that condition by authority will become irresponsible and semi-literate adults, and that such people can't be trusted with decisions. The National Teacher Training Document informed teacher educators 
that under these circumstances, teachers were to be trained as therapists, translating prescriptions of social psychologists into practical action in the classroom. The third of the new gospel texts was Benjamin Bloom's taxonomy. In his own words, I'm quoting, a tool to classify the way individuals are to act, think, or feel as the result of some unit of instruction. Using the methods of behavioral psychology, children would learn improper, proper thoughts, feelings, and actions, and have their improper attitudes brought from home remediated. In all stages of school manipulation, testing would be essential to locate the child's changing mind on an official rating scale. Bloom's taxonomy spawned a number of important descendants which you've heard of. Mastery learning was one, outcomes-based education a second, and the current school-to-work government-business collaboration a third. Each was designed to classify individuals for the convenience of social managers and to control the mind and movements of the young. But what was the purpose? Why was this being done? A major piece of the answer can be found by reading between the lines of an article which appeared several months ago in the June 1988 issue of Foreign Affairs. Written by the owner of U.S. News and World Report, the essay praises the American economy and predicts that its lead over Europe and Asia is so psychological in nature that no nation can possibly catch up to us because our workers are unique. Now, unless you believe in master race biology, this advantage can only have come from school training of the American young, in school and out, by indoctrination techniques which produce attitudes useful to management. Workers in America live in constant panic. They know companies here owe them nothing. There's no outside power to appeal to. Fear is our secret supercharger. Gives management here a flexibility that other nations will never have to such an extent. So fear keeps a break on American wages. Next, he says, in the United States, what look like managerial decisions are actually made by abstract mathematical rules, which are manager-proof as well as worker-proof. No sentimentality, no ideological treachery by a soft-hearted boss can make more than temporary inroads on corporate momentum here because the accountant's bottom line rules everything. And finally, he says, our endless consumption completes the golden circle. Consumption driven by a non-stop American addiction to novelty, which provides American business with the only reliable domestic market in the world. Elsewhere in hard times, business dries up because people sit on their money. But here, no. Here we shop till we drop. We mortgage our futures in bad times as well as good. And I think Zuckerman is right. 
there isn't much doubt that the fantastic wealth of American big business is psychologically and procedurally grounded and that the training for this mental state and the necessary docility it requires comes from the American classroom. Schools must train individuals to respond as a mass, to be frightened, envious, bored, emotionally needy, and generally incomplete. It's common sense. A successful mass production economy has to have such a clientele. A small business, small farm economy like the Amish have require individual competence, thoughtfulness, compassion, and universal participation. But ours requires a well-managed mass, leveled, spiritless, anxious, familyless, friendless, godless, and obedient people who believe the difference between Coke and Pepsi is a subject worth arguing about. We need people for this economy who learn that status is purchased so that when you buy something, you're immediately dissatisfied with it because it's not producing the rush that you expected from the advertising. We need people who learn that others manage our lives, that most people, including our own parents, are ignorant and irrelevant, that God is an obsolete fancy not worth bothering about, and that ultimate satisfaction comes from official approval. The fantastic wealth of American big business is a direct result of school training. Schools training children to be fearful, bored and addicted to novelty, suspicious of themselves and others, and voiceless in important matters. That's what the bells are for, they say, and now for something different. The secret of American schooling is that it doesn't teach the way children learn, as I think Inga represented well to you, nor are schools supposed to. School has been engineered to serve a particular kind of economy and a strictly layered social order not to benefit kids and families. That's why it has to be compulsory. The prime directive of schooling is to retard maturity and wholeness. School is the first impression children get of organized society. And like most first impressions, it is the lasting one. The decisive dynamics which make forced schooling poison to healthy human development are easy to spot. And I'll give you a small package of these. The work with which most classrooms engage the child is not significant work. It doesn't satisfy real needs pressing on the individual, doesn't answer real questions that experience raises in the young mind. It doesn't contribute to solving any problem encountered in actual life. The psychological effect of making work external and foreign to individual longings, experience, questions, and problems renders the victim listless. Growth and mastery only come to those who vigorously self-direct. We've known that 
for thousands of years. If you doubt it, examine the differences between elite education in any century you choose and the direction of common training. I'll be talking a little specifically about this tomorrow morning. Initiating, creating, reflecting, and other things like that, active things, are precisely what the structure of schooling is set up to prevent on one pretext or another. As I watched it happen for 30 years, it takes about three years to break most kids. Three years combined to environments of emotional neediness with nothing real to do. The strongest meshes of the school net are totally invisible. Constant bidding for a stranger's attention creates a chemistry whose products are the common characteristics of modern school children. Whining, dishonesty, malice, treachery, cruelty. The unceasing competition for official attention. Have you ever seen the little arms go out of the sockets, jumping out of the seat? In the dramatic fishbowl of a classroom delivers cowardly children little people sunk in chronic boredom, little people with no apparent purpose for being alive. The procedure is identical to that which causes caged rats to develop eccentric mannerisms when they have to press a bar for food on an aperiodic reinforcement schedule where food is delivered but at random, but the rat doesn't know that. Much of the bizarre behavior school kids display is a function of the reinforcement schedule and the endless confinement and inactivity which slowly drives children insane. Trapped children like trapped rats need close management as any rat psychologist will tell you. Now I want to take you back a few years again. Between 1896 and 1920, a small number of powerful industrialists, together with their private foundations, sponsored university administrators, house experts, and house politicians, spent more money on mass forced schooling than the government did. Indeed, Andrew Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller together spent more money than the government did on schooling between 1900 and 1920. In this laissez-faire fashion, a system of modern schooling was constructed without public participation. I don't blame you if, if you're a little surprised by this data. If you want to know the motives of this project, you need only read the first public mission statement of Rockefeller's General Education Board that was printed in its first report to well-wishers issued in 1906, and I'm going to read you the first paragraph, and I guarantee you it's utterly unbelievable, and if you have children, this ought to be as chilling as anything you've heard recently. In our dreams, people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hands. The present education conventions of intellectual and character education fade from their minds, and unhampered by tradition, we work our own will 
upon a grateful and responsive fault. Can you believe people actually wrote this and printed it? We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or men of science. We have not to raise up from them authors, educators, poets, men of letters. We shall not search for artists, painters, musicians, lawyers, doctors, preachers, politicians, statesmen, of which we have an ample supply. The task is simple. We will organize children and teach them in a perfect way the things their fathers and mothers are doing in an imperfect way. The real purpose of modern schooling was announced by Edward Ross of the University of Wisconsin in the same year that was written. Ross is generally considered one of the three founders of the 20th century discipline called sociology. And in a book bluntly called Social Control, Ross wrote, I'll quote directly, plans are underway to replace family, church, and community with propaganda, education, he meant schooling, and mass media. People, he informed his readers, are only little plastic lumps of dough. Another insider of modern schooling, H.H. Goddard, chairman of the psychology department at Princeton, called government schooling in 1920, quote, the perfect organization of the hive, close quote. Goddard wrote that standardized testing was to cause the lower classes to confront their biological inferiority, sort of like wearing a dunce cap. In time, it would discourage their reproduction. By 1971, the U.S. Office of Education, now deeply committed to gaining access to the private lives and thoughts of children, granted contracts for seven volumes of so-called change agent studies to the RAND Corporation. Change agent training was launched with federal funding under the Education Professions Development Act. Soon, the Change Agent's Guide to Innovation in Education appeared. Grants were then awarded to colleges for the training of change agents, while six more RAND manuals were printed and distributed to teacher training courses. In 1989, a senior director of the Mid-Continent Regional Education Laboratory told the 50 governors of the United States assembled in Kansas City for their annual meeting the following. This is a direct quote. Not a word is changed. What we're into is the total restructuring of scientific scholarship, specifically the importation of German research university values to America at the end of the 19th century covered the track of what was going on. What American colleges had traditionally thought about college work is that it was about teaching and learning. It was about individual student growth in intellect, but that's not the way the German system worked. What a German research university was about was direct service to corporations in the political state, using students who paid for the right 
to donate their services free along with the paid professional academics. In return for demonstrating, a student demonstrating that he or she had trained adequately and was loyal, the German system then reserved jobs and professional licenses for the appropriate graduates. The University of Chicago, Stanford, Johns Hopkins, Columbia Teachers College, MIT, and Cornell, all colleges endowed by great industrialists, together with the state-endowed university movement represented by schools like Michigan or Wisconsin or Ohio State, joined in concert with the old-line aristocratic American colleges like Yale and Dartmouth, who were flag bearers for the English social class theory to provide a new and daring purpose for wealth to aspire to, not just spending your money, not just having big parties, but mastering the secrets of evolution and driving society toward a managed scientific utopia. In 1922, Walter Lippmann's book, Public Opinion, demanded severe restrictions on public debate. Those are Lippmann's words. In light of the enormous number of feeble-minded Americans, said Lippmann, the old ideal of participatory democracy is insane. This theme of scientifically controlled breeding interacted in a complex fashion with the German ideal of a scientific society run by experts and the ideal of the British state religion and political society that God himself had appointed the social classes to create a kind of Darwinian caste-based schooling run at long distance through experts unseen who manipulated hired hands called school teachers and school administrators and all this was for the ultimate good of the best breeding stock. In 1928, Sigmund Freud's favorite nephew, Edward L. Bernays, who is the creator of the craft that we call today public relations, said in his book, Crystallizing Public Opinion, that, quote, invisible power is now in control of every aspect of American life. Democracy, said Bernays, is only a front for skillful wire pulling, tricks the new sciences of mental manipulation could place at the disposal of policy people for a price. By 1944, the jettisoning of natural rights resonated through every corner of American academic life. Any academic who expected free money from foundations, corporations, or government would play the scientific management string on his lute. In 1961, the German concept of the political state as a fatherland surfaced in John F. Kennedy's inaugural address in which his listeners were lectured, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And in 1995, Time Magazine, I believe it's a February, the first issue in February, lectured its readers in a cover story that, quote, democracy is in the worst interest of national goals. The modern world is too complex to allow the man or woman in the street to interfere in its management. Now the secret was in the open. The original American Commonwealth ideal had been repudiated by its guardians 
in the same year, some of the methodology used to achieve this repudiation was brought to light in a long documentary film, which I'll bet shows around Nashville. It's called Manufacturing Consent. It was about the career of the legendary MIT professor Noam Chomsky, the world's foremost linguistic scholar. But Chomsky's interests haven't been in linguistics for at least 20 years. In the film, Chomsky confirmed a growing popular su suspicion that the news you hear is tightly controlled. He showed that all the news in the world pouring through mass channels is under the direction of 23 global corporations which spin propaganda on every side of every issue, thus constricting public imagination wherever important interests are in question. School was an important terminal on a production line to create a utopian world resembling a gigantic Epcot Center or perhaps the Mother Chautauqua of late 19th century fame, a utopia before its time. There was only one important eugenical limitation on this school-created utopia to come. It wasn't intended for everyone, at the most for 20% of the existing population. And out of Johns Hopkins University in 1996 came this chilling piece of supporting data. I'm going to quote from the Hopkins report. The American economy has grown massively since the mid-1960s, but workers' real spendable wages are no higher than they were 30 years ago. The purchasing power of a working couple in 1995 was, after inflation was factored in, the same as earned by a single working man 90 years earlier. This steep decline in American common prosperity then forced both parents from home and forced their kids into the managed world of daycare and extended schooling. I don't mean to be inflammatory, he said, but it's as if government school has made people dumber, not brighter, made families weaker, not stronger, has ruined formal religion with its hard-sell exclusion of God, has set the class structure in stone by dividing children into classes and setting them against one another, and has been midwife to an alarming concentration of wealth and power in the hands of a fraction of our national community. Real school reform would have to overthrow a powerful form of mental conditioning which has taken a century to implant. To one degree or another, all of us have been indoctrinated in a variety of ways to believe that the American experiment which promised ordinary people sovereignty over their own lives was wrong-headed and childish. Real school reform would have to defeat the belief learned in school and reinforced through the media that ordinary people are too stupid, too irresponsible, too childish to be trusted to look out for themselves. When children are encouraged to run wild in school and to become stupid there, this poisonous lesson is hammered home for the rest of us day after day. We've all experienced it. No wonder we all believe it. 
the premises of scientific schooling seem impossible to dispute, so thoroughly have they been demonstrated by the form of forced schools which corporations and the federal government imposed on us a century ago. After all, why should hopelessly ignorant people be allowed to make decisions, even intimate personal ones like how to raise their own children? Certified experts are available who know vastly more than about everything and anything. To have better schools that served families and communities and individuals, instead of suffocating them, we would need to trash certain assumptions. We would need to abandon entirely the idea that any such sociological reality as mass man actually exists, except in the minds of those who benefit from such a belief. We would have to believe what our fingerprints and our intuition tell us, that no two people are alike, that nobody can be accurately described by numbers and graphs, that trying to do this sets up an endless chain of future grief. We would have to accept that a fantasy like scientific pedagogy is impossible because each person has a private and a singular destiny. We would need to transfer faith from school and corporate experts and behave as if these principles were true as over a million homeschooling families in this country do. We would need to wake up and admit that knowledge is a far cry from wisdom, that each American has the right to live as he or she deems wise, and if the way individuals choose to live and raise their kids means disaster for global corporations, as surely the way of life the Amish embraced, if it were embraced by too many, would mean disaster, then that fateful choice still needs to be honored because it is protected by the law that defines America, our founding documents. It's high time we all remembered what mankind needed an America for in the first place. The brilliant dialectical balance struck by our founders was the only way to keep power weak and off balance, official power and popular power both. Popular will would beat back government tyranny government would check popular tyranny over minority rights. This constant confrontation, this unwinnable war between two flawed collectivizing principles, coercive government and bullying public opinion will always produce liberty for those who want it. In the stalemate, liberty escapes as long as the argument is kept alive. It's only through enforced consensus, the product of too much and the wrong kind of schooling, that America can fail. America is about argument, about doing things our own way. It is still the only place on the planet where one can publicly oppose authority without being beaten or killed or severely intimidated for that act of free will. The US Supreme Court wrote in the flag-burning case that the only true test of freedom is the right to differ about things that touch the heart of the existing order. And the court was right. That truly is the standard. Let us strike to the heart of this thing then and take back our children.
from the management engineers. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much.